0: adequate good evening adequate notice of this special meeting held the fifth day of october 2015 has been provided through resolution adopted by this authority at a regular meeting held on February twenty-fifth, two 2015, and through the mailing of this resolution to the Morris County Daily Record in the Star Ledger, and through the posting in the clerk of the board's office and filing with the county clerk. Roll call. Commissioner Gallipo. Commissioner Kowalczyk. Here. Commissioner Ramirez. Here. Commissioner Sandman. Here. Commissioner Benani. Here. Could I ask everyone to stand for salute the flag? Which is behind us to the right. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one One nation, nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. I want to uh, read a closed session announcement. Whereas pursuant to PL 1975, Chapter 231, the Open Public Public Meetings Act, the authority may exclude the public to discuss matters that are provided under the Act. And whereas said Act provides that this authority exclude the public from discussions as follows, personnel appointments, contract negotiations, Purchase, lease, acquisition of real property, pending or anticipated li- litigation, matters falling within the attorney-client privilege. Now, therefore, be it resolved that this authority shall disclose to the public the content of the discussion after final disposition of the matters discussed. Can I have a motion? Can make that? Second. Commissioner Ramirez? Yes. Commissioner Sandman? Yes. Commissioner Kowalczyk? Yes. Commissioner Benoni yes. Okay. Gentlemen, there's no ladies out there. Um, Not yet. What what the authority is going to do is we have one or two matters to be discussed in closed session. We're going to go discuss that. And then at 630, um, we are coming back in here to do the build, no build presentation. Fair? Thank you. We want to uh, come back into the open portion of the Improvement Authority special meeting. I'd like to welcome you all. I'd like to uh, thank everyone for attending this evening and just kind of visit the process that we'll be using tonight. Um, hope to make it as interactive as possible. As a follow-up to the Solar II settlement, which occurred earlier in the spring of this year, the Improvement Authority has undertaken the following initiatives. We have advertised and obtained a new general, bond, and energy council. We have advertised and obtained a new energy consultant. As Also, what we have done was we have created a build, no build committee as it pertains to the sites that were left unbuilt at the time of settlement. The build, no build committee is comprised of the entire, free, uh, entire uh, improvement authority and three freeholders their goal is to minimize the county's debt by financially analyzing each of the sites the purpose of tonight's meeting will be to present the public with the work performed to date the actions taken to date the ensuing results of the build no build committee <clears throat> and to then have a discussion um, we're going to begin the presentation now at 6:30. And the presentation of the Build No Build committee will be facilitated by our MICA counsel, Matt Jessup, along with the entire MICA professional team. And that includes Tom Bryce from Matrix Energy and Heather from NW Financial. Also up here with me this evening are commissioners, Ellen Sandman, Christina Ramirez, and Joe Kowalczyk. I am John Bonani. The Improvement Authority will, at the conclusion of the Build No Build presentation, entertain comments and questions from members of the public. There is a sign-in sheet at each of the podiums for members of the public who may wish to provide comment. Each individual will be asked to write down their names, addresses, email, and telephone number prior to speaking. To speed things up, we'll flip the two podiums around so that we can alternate uh, podiums. We ask that during this portion of the meeting Each individual limit their comments to five minutes. After each speaker, Councilor Jessup may respond to specific questions raised or ask other members of the MICA professional team to respond. If Councilor Jessup feels that the question can be best responded to along with other questions raised, he will reserve the right to provide certain answers at the end of the public's comments, at the end of all those public comments. At the conclusion of the public portion of the Build No Build discussion, the Improvement Authority will close the public portion of the meeting dedicated to Build No Build and return to their regular agenda. The final item on the agenda prior to adjournment is reserved for general public comments. Each individual here would be, who wishes to speak would be allotted three minutes to provide their comment on any other Improvement Authority matter other than of course the build no build in accordance with the manner that the improvement authority typically uses at their monthly meetings all the public comments um, will be heard first and one by one as you finish your comments if you could return to your seats Um, when members of the public have concluded speaking for the public this public portion that portion of the meeting will be closed we would ask then again our counselor Jessup to address the questions that he can adequately and promptly respond to assuming that there's some questions in with the comments and we would advise the balance of the members in this room that any of the other questions raised would be scheduled to be addressed at the Improvement Authority's regular October meeting on October 21st in the Knox room um, in this building so having said all of that I'd like to um, ask Matt Jessup to begin with the presentation of the build no build process.
1: All right. Good evening, everyone. Uh, As Chairman Bonatti mentioned, my name is Matt Jessup, and I am part of the um, new ish uh, professional team at the Morris County Improvement Authority. Um, you heard a little bit from John about uh, who the team consists of with respect to uh, ultimately making a recommendation of the Freeholder Board about uh, build, no build on some or all of the various unbuilt sites. Uh, it is the Improvement Authority, it is the Improvement Authority Professionals, and it is um, a Freeholder uh, Committee. Hello, hello. It's working. I'll speak louder if best I can. <clears throat> um at any rate, so the MCIA Build No Build committee is the improvement authority three freeholders who have been appointed to um as part of the committee and the professional team uh that uh, John mentioned earlier. Um and this is a pretty important decision, so um we're really glad everybody's here and we're really hopeful that you will provide um, valuable input into ultimately this model, but really the entire decision making process that ultimately the freeholders are going to have to go through. Um, as I sort of say often, this is a $14 million decision for the county freeholders, which obviously they take very seriously. And so, um, our job, my job, the Build No Build Committee's job, and I think everybody here, you're all interested stakeholders, it's why you're here. All of our collective job is to figure out what information should be presented to the freeholders in what format should it be presented to the freeholders so that they have every piece of information they need to make a decision about each of the unbuilt sites and where to go with respect to that. Um, So that's what we're all here and what we're all collectively tasked to do and we're looking forward to to, for your input to help the freeholders uh, with that process. I guess we settled about this, um, the solar litigation about six months ago. What have we been doing since then? Uh, as you heard John mention briefly, the improvement authority competitively procured new, uh, professionals. Uh, we engaged the professionals to start analyzing all of the, uh, unbuilt sites from the series 2011 county solar program that largely consisted of the improvement Authority's consulting engineer, uh, matrix, going site by site, visiting each of the unbuilt sites, looking at all of the past information that's been made available by prior professionals and and through the original 2011 program, uh, analyzing information that has been informally provided to us by multiple EPCs, potential contractors, who would be interested in building one or more of these sites. Um, And that was an important aspect because while we can all sit here and say, well, we think site one will cost this much to build. We think site two will cost that much to build. We figured there was really no point wasting any time. We should actually get a professional opinion as to exactly how much these should cost. So we got two. We tried to get three, we got two. Um, So we we armed ourselves with as much data as possible to allow the engineer to go site by site, review the plans, review the proposed layouts for these facilities, and figure out whether they could get built, whether they could get built for the amount of money that we're talking about, uh, whether they could be built better with a, with a different design than what was provided originally, uh, with a more productive design, et cetera. And they uh, ultimately, <clears throat> the uh, consulting engineer went through that entire process uh, site by site for us. That resulted in an initial report by Matrix that was made public a couple months ago it's on the improvement authorities website and it was effectively a high level um, analysis revenue analysis of all of the unbuilt sites and the purpose of that was basically to make sure we weren't chasing projects that led to bad money um, if there was a site that based on the initial review by matrix if it was clear from that uh, analysis that the site was not going to potentially be productive that is, pay for itself and contribute additional revenue to the balance of the solar program, then there was really, I think, nobody involved in this process that wanted to spend more money analyzing those sites. So we figured if we went to all 13 sites and there were two or three where we said, in an ideal world, they're not going to get done anyway, let's not spend more money on them. We don't want to spend more money on professionals that we don't have to. Let's scrap those sites and move on. So that initial report was done by matrix. It's been up on the website. Um, I think it may be part of the, um, the agenda packet outside if you don't have it. And essentially what that analysis revealed was that, um, there were no sites that were worth, um, crossing off the list. Initially, all 13 sites were worth further, uh, due diligence and further review. So we've moved into a deeper dive uh, analysis, and that analysis has ended up with this model here, which I'll go through um, in a little bit, that was presented in the public uh, in Rockaway Borough a few weeks ago, and obviously is really the subject of uh, tonight's uh, special meeting. So the decision to build or not build. maybe some of you are like me. When I was first brought into the county, I sort of said, well, the decision is not built. I I don't see scenarios. I don't see why we would turn around and continue to build these, um, build these sites. But then we looked at it further and we realized, well, first of all, with respect to the built sites, there are, you know, 14 local units that are saving $6.3 million in, in their energy bill. Right. And I know if I could get my, PSE and g bill from 300 bucks to 200 bucks i would do it and i think most of us would do that and in this case that's effectively what the local units are doing right so while the county has an issue obviously that we're all here collectively to try and help solve the local units are are getting a benefit they're getting a direct economic benefit that impacts whether it's their school tax or the municipal tax or the county tax for county-owned facilities and so that was that number 6.3 million dollars. And that's only for the built sites was a pretty compelling number to say, well, we should probably keep, you know, looking at this. Um, another compelling issue is not building the balance of these sites. One thing we know it does is it locks in additional debt service losses, right? If we do nothing and we don't build any of the additional sites, we know that there's another $14 million that the county's going to have to pay out of its budget. And uh, that, number 14 million additional loss was not a number that anybody on the team was willing to say yeah we're okay locking in 14 million dollars of losses um so that caused um you know people to keep moving forward and, and keep looking forward um another issue is the money we have on hand i think for a lot of us if we could take that money and give it back to the bondholders that we took it from in 2011 and not pay debt service on those bonds anymore, that might be the best use of those funds. But we can't. right? Those bonds were issued in 2011. They were issued for the full amount of, of uh, money needed to build 100% of the projects. And the redemption features or the call features on those, bond, on those bonds are such that we can't pay off bondholders more than 10 years, until 10 years after the bonds have been issued. So we don't really have an option to sit there and invest the money and use that as a better means than paying for construction of additional sites. Um, Many people are probably savvy investors, uh, many I'm sure in this room, uh, but investment opportunities for local governments and for improvement authorities are not what they are for um, private individuals or others. Um, By way of example, In the last six months, our unspent project fund money has earned $1,500 in interest over a full six-month period. Um, The state of New Jersey has very restrictive uh, investment criteria, and essentially we're stuck with a government money market mutual fund bearing interest at, I don't know, Joe, half a percent or something uh, per year. So taking that $7.4 million that we have roughly, Giving it back to the bondholders isn't an option. If it was, I think we'd largely have done that. Um, We've already borrowed all of the money. We're not borrowing more money. We're not borrowing additional money, but we've already borrowed all the money. And giving it back is not an option. And investing it, investing the majority of it, is not an option because you can't make any return while you're paying debt service um, on your bonds. It's a gross, inefficient use of funds. And then another uh, reason that sort of compelled the committee to keep moving towards this model um, is to provide you know the most amount of options to the county down the road now we're not here and we're not going to spend any real time talking about all of those options because many of them refinancing bonds selling the system and getting out of the solar business converting the the systems to the local units and giving them to them they're all options, but none of them are options today. And we have a really important decision that we all have to collectively get through today. Um, but what we can talk about today is the fact that the more assets you have, the more value you have in the overall system, the more likely that those options bear better and bigger benefits. So are we going to refinance bonds? I don't know. We, We can't, as I just mentioned, we can't call them until 2021. If anyone here knows where interest rates are going in between now and 2021, fantastic. Let us know, but it's not likely. So we don't know whether we're going to do that. But what we do know is that may, being able, putting the county in a position to make those decisions and maybe take advantage of those benefits somewhere down the road are part of the process that are worth considering when we make a decision. <clears throat> so that brings us to tonight and to I guess the 21st of september when we were in rockaway borough having uh this conversation and this conversation will continue later this month uh with the freeholders meeting uh next wednesday on the uh, on the fourteenth um what won't be happening tonight uh there is no vote there is no decision uh the improvement authority board is not uh making any decisions about build no build um ultimately that's a freeholder decision um, Tonight's about a process. It's about finding the best possible process to present information to the freeholders. And again, we're hoping that you will, uh, help us with that. So here's how the team essentially chose to analyze these, uh, 15 sites in total. They are all municipal school or county facilities, obviously all located within Morris County. Uh, they are all listed up here, uh, on this chart, which I think everybody has through the agenda. Um, i'll touch base a little bit later on why we presented a 30-year analysis for you but similar to my comment about future opportunities down the road it's not nearly as important in my view anyway as the 15-year analysis that 15-year analysis is um relevant really for two reasons one the bonds are outstanding for 15 years or at least 15 years from 2011. um and two SREX, or at least the market SREX that we're all used to talking about—the $225 SREX, the $100 SREX, whatever number you want to put on them—those those RECs are available per facility for 15 years after the facilities, starting when the facility's been turned on. So the 15-year time period is really the the window that we're talking about here. Again, I'll talk about the 30 years a little bit, but the focus is going to be, and my examples will be on the 15-year, uh, which is the top half of this. Um, of this scenario. So essentially, each one of these systems is a component, is a function of uh, two items, revenue and expenses. Um, We think in a way, hopefully uh, in a way, it really is uh, that simple. So uh, there are two sources of revenues that these um, renewable energy facilities generate. One is the PPA revenue, the power purchase agreement revenue. This is the amount of money that the local units are paying instead of paying their JCPNL or PSENG or whoever their traditional grid um provider is for their electricity. So in lieu of paying that bill, they are paying a, a PPA uh payment um to the ultimately to the bond trustee. Those funds go directly from the local unit to the Morris County Improvement Authority's trustee to be used to pay debt service on bonds. That money does not go anywhere else. It doesn't go to the developer, doesn't go to the county, doesn't go to the Improvement Authority directly. It only goes to the Improvement Authority's trustee directly to pay debt service, um, on the bonds. Those PPA payments are fairly fixed in the sense that, um, each local unit that's been built has a production number. That production number changes a little bit a year, but it's largely the same. And the price, 6.667 cents, escalating at 3% a year, uh, is a fixed price. That doesn't vary at all, again, other than the 3% escalator. So our PPA revenue is not, I wouldn't really consider it a variable revenue, right? Production times a fixed number, Production's fairly constant. The price is, is absolutely con- uh, constant leads to a relatively, uh, fixed number on the PPA revenue side. Uh, sure. So PPA is power purchase agreement. That is literally the agreement, the document that gov- that, that has the municipality agreeing in lieu of paying their grid energy bill to PSE and G or JCP and L or whoever their service provider is, they agree to pay, uh, to the, uh, developer, but really to the improvement authority, uh, an energy payment. So, you know, if they were paying 12 cents per kilowatt hour to JCP and L, now they're paying 6.667 cents per kilowatt hour to the bond trustee as revenue to pay debt service on the bonds. SREC is Solar Renewable Energy Certificate. Uh, An SREC is, think of it kind of like a stock certificate. Um, every time uh, a um, solar panel produces energy, a certain amount of energy, It it, uh, creates an SREC. The owner of the facility is entitled to an SREC. And so as the solar facility produces more and more energy, more and more electricity, more and more of these SRECs, these energy certificates, generate to the benefit of the developer. There is a market where you can sell SRECs. So I generate an SREC, and I go out on the marketplace, and I sell that SREC at at a price whatever the price may be in the market on that given day. Um, The most recent SREC sale that the Improvement Authority went through uh, with respect to actually both Solar 1 and Solar 2 uh, at the SREC was priced at $225 per REC. So if you sell 1,000 RECS, SRECs at 225, you get a corresponding revenue. So that is the second revenue component of any um, uh, PV or solar facility. And that one's variable. As most people here know, um, the SREC market has, and you know, will continue to fluctuate and move based on a variety of factors. Um, so this SREC revenue here, uh, is based on an SREC curve, and it's based on the production that each of the sites is anticipated to, um, build because it's a marketplace for the sale that marketplace move. So this is more of a uh, flexible revenue stream, if you will. <clears throat> so revenues, two. Expenses. There are two, uh, expenses, uh, effectively, that make up, uh, each of these, um, these, uh, PV facilities. The first is operating costs. Your cost to operate, maintain, and manage these facilities. They are fairly self-sufficient um but they do require annual maintenance they do require upkeep they do require you know changes here and there there's a piece of equipment that comes offline's got to get fixed etc uh like any technological piece of equipment they do require uh some tweaking along the way the operating costs here what's important to note in the numbers that we've chosen to use these these operating costs aren't just your everyday costs to run a pv facility They also include milestone, significant milestone upgrades, expenditures to the system in years five, years 10 and year 15. And that's because matrix, the energy consultant who has a significant amount of experience with these systems has said, look, in years five, 10 and 15, you have more expense that you have to put out to get the system and keep the system up and running. And in year five, it's X amount. And in year 10, it's more than X amount. It's not just the same amount, but you spend a little more in year five, you spend a lot more in year 10, and you spend even more than that in year 15 to make sure that this asset continues to perform the way that it's supposed to uh, and to produce the maximum amount of benefit um, to the local, ultimately to the local units and produce uh, revenue. So these operating costs don't just include sort of a flat target number per year. They do include milestone payments in years 5, 10, and 15 uh, to reflect, you know, what we expect is the reality of the cost that you need to actually keep these systems up and running, not just for 15 years, but for an additional 10 years beyond that, hence the 30-year schedule at some point. So that's the operating cost. Debt service. Probably fairly self-explanatory. As I said earlier, we have already purchased, we have already, um, issued all of the bonds necessary to build all of these sites. If we hadn't done that, like I said, we're probably not all here tonight. Um, but, but we did. So our view was if we hadn't done that, if, if in a vacuum we go back and we had not borrowed the money, but we wanted to figure out whether we would move forward with a site, one thing we would do is we would say, how much does it cost to build that site? what would it cost to borrow money to build that site and at what rate would you be borrowing money and so we took a cost factor for each site we took the interest rate that we're paying on the bonds because in fact if we were to move forward that's where we'd get our loan because we've already gotten it right so we know what the interest rate is because we've already effectively taken that money out um and that produces a debt service number over a 15-year period so um that column reflects the amount of money you would pay back in total to get that one particular site built so as i said earlier these systems are basically um, revenues and expenses and if revenues exceed expenses we have a project cash flow that's in the black that is a positive number Um, if we have expenses that exceed revenue obviously we're in the red right we have a site uh that does not at least pay for itself. <clears throat> so a minute on, on on project cash flow. I think, and maybe we'll hear from you all later, um I think you know different people can have different views on whether project fund cash flow at zero dollars means you should go ahead with a site. In other words, the revenue is enough just to pay operating costs and debt service and no other additional revenue. It just pays for itself perfectly without any excess revenue to the, to the county's benefit or without any cost or expense out of the county's pocket. And I think a, a lot of, you know, intelligent people with reasonable minds can come up with different numbers as to where they think that line should be. Um, and that's effectively what we show here, right? We show that, you know, in a, it, we have one site that produces not just pays for itself, but produces a significant amount of, or at least what I would call a significant amount of additional revenue to subsidize the balance of the 2011 program as a whole. And we have some sites that they kick off revenue, but in the grand scheme of things uh, and the other factors that we'll talk about, you know, the $16,000 of excess revenue, is that worth putting the site in motion, et cetera? Again, people can sort of debate that. And that's part of what the freeholders, I think, in the end will have to do. Uh, two more columns, um, local unit energy savings, again, I think fairly self-explanatory, but what we have done here is we have looked at what each local unit would have otherwise paid to their grid energy supplier, their JCP&L, their PSE&G, uh, at the time that the program was created. Uh, there is a required assumption that the grid energy bill would go up by 2.2% per year. The state of New Jersey requires us, when we do forecasts like this, to assume that energy goes up every year 2.2%. That is in uh, that local unit energy savings number. Um, we Whether energy will go up more than 2.2% a year, dramatically more, some people will say, dramatically less, others may say, in the end, unfortunately, our hands are tied there by the uh, New Jersey BPU. So that is essentially you know, the difference between the PPA payment they're making, the local unit's going to make, and the amount they would have paid to their their grid energy uh, supplier. And with respect to, you know, local units, municipalities, and boards of ed, that's a direct benefit to their budget, right? It doesn't necessarily help the freeholders, because they have a different budget problem with respect to the county guarantee of the bonds. But the local units, the municipalities and the boards of ed, they are, they are required now to raise less money, wherever they get their revenues from, taxes and other sources, than they would have otherwise, assuming that they're showing a savings here. With respect to the county, you can sort of look at it for their sites as a direct benefit to offset the guarantee, because a dollar that the county doesn't pay to JCP&L is the same dollar that they can then go to pay uh, amounts that inevitably the county will have to pay under its county guarantee to pay debt service on the bonds uh, for the overall 2011 um, project. And then finally, and I'll grab a quick uh, drink here before I get to the last one, break even SREC. We spent a lot of time, this group, the freeholder uh, committee, trying to figure out ultimately if there w- if there was one way to boil down a decision on whether or not you would move forward with a particular site we wondered if it was break even s um, there are again a lot of variables and there are a lot of things that we will in future meetings and conversations discuss how can we ensure perfect and timely construction how can we assure our 1603 revenues are what we think they're going to be how can we uh, you know, ensure that things are delivered on budget. All of those things are absolutely factors and, and very important ones. But from a math perspective, trying to figure out whether or not to get to that stage of how do we solve those problems is we thought the break even SREC, Um, as I mentioned earlier, these systems are all a function of revenues versus expenses and add a projected SREC curve you can see that most of the sites produce project cash flow <clears throat> what we did was we said well at what srec will the system pay 100 percent of its own operating costs and its own debt service and not pay a dollar more in project cash flow and again that goes back to a comment earlier um, i made you know saying if you did build a site and it only paid for itself, and it didn't subsidize the balance of the system, would you or would you not go forward with it? And at what SREC level you know, would you be comfortable with? So uh, using rank number one as an example, if for the next 15-year period after site one got built, SRECs, which again are currently at $225, if for the next 15 years they laid flat at $37 per SREC, not a dollar more, not a dollar less for the next 15 years, If they laid flat at $37 per SREC, site number one would produce enough PPA revenue and SREC revenue to pay for itself, just pay for itself. It'd be a a self-sufficient or a self-liquidating, if you will, system. Um, And that's important because if it pays for itself, I think it's providing its own value because this debt service number is happening whether we build the site or not right? We come all the way back to, again, we've already issued the bonds. So either the county pays this debt service number out of its budget, or the, the system gets built and it pays for the debt service out of its cash flow. And in order for it to take this $1.3 million in the first example out of the county ledger and move it over to a self-sufficient revenue ledger, that would require a $37 SREC um, <clears throat> over the 15-year period, um, and again, you'll you can see, hopefully, in large examples somewhere, that those SREC requirements range from $37. Again, market is 225, uh, all the way up to 225. Actually, the bottom site uh, would need today's market for the full 15-year period from now until um, you know the end of that 15-year period in order to just pay for itself and just take this $480,000 of debt service and, and instead of having the county pay for it, it would end up being able to pay for, uh, pay for it itself. So in the end, we sort of felt like, well, maybe this all comes down to, you know, the among other things, the freeholders and the collective, you know, groups appetite for SREC risk. After all, we believe PPA revenue is very fixed, right? We believe operating costs are very fixed and are conservative. Uh, We know what debt service is because we've already issued the bonds. There's no wondering whether when we get to the market, interest rates will be at 5% or 4% or 3%. We know what it is because we're already there. So it seemed like really in the end, the only revenue and expense variable that there was is SREX. And so whether the county is going to pay these debt service numbers out of their budget or whether the system can be built and pay for its own debt service and take it out of the county's budget as an additional payment by the county uh, comes down to these SREC numbers, right? $37, $51, $98. And I think in the end, the question is going to be where do we draw the line, right? Where, And, and that is also something that... I can have a view, you know, John Bonani can have a view, one of the freeholders can have a view, and and they can all be uh, respected and be different views. But I think in the end, you can largely take the financial model down to uh, SREX, um, And what is your appetite for that portion of the risk um, that you will be effectively moving the expense and the loss from the county books to the to the assets books, if you will. <clears throat> yes? The Estrex break-even, is
2: that based just on at the county level, the project cash flow,
3: or is that a combination of the county cash flow and the
2: local unit energy savings? It is.
1: <clears throat> the break-even Estrex number is the number that Estrex have to be, or the price they have to be, so that this number plus this number equals the aggregate of these two numbers. So
2: just the county level. So anything gotten from local unit energy savings, that's totally incremental that the towns make that money, even though the county
1: may break even. Right, right. So if, so if the system is purely paying for itself, revenues are equal to expenses, the local unit, the Board of Ed, the municipality, is still seeing energy savings of Y dollars. Now that's effect, 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 based on PPA, which is fixed. That's exactly right. So, um, and that's uh, that's important to note because, and the reason it's not, it, the reason it's not in here, is because uh, ultimately we're trying to help the freeholders determine whether or right. Okay, never mind. <laughs> sure. Um, Chairman, I, I'm uh, just one minute if you don't mind. Um I'm done with the prepared presentation I was gonna give. I can go back up and if you wanna start the no, sort of the open public portion then we're happy to do it. It's, it's fine to do a there. Okay. That's fine too. We don't need names and or you can state your names for the record, I guess. Up, yeah. I, I don't I don't know if there's an order, but just go ahead. Sure. So, um, one thing I didn't mention and I want to mention it cause it ties to your answer. Um, and the short answer is the first five years are published on the bottom of this sheet. Um, one of the things we at the improvement authority have said from the very beginning is we want to, and we have tried to share as much information as we can as quickly as we can with really one condition. We do not want to, um, let any information out that puts the county and the improvement authority in an adverse bargaining position moving forward. Um, as I mentioned earlier, we have two EPC contractors who informally provided pricing that is obviously significant information for the county, but, um, you know, we, they may still end up bidding on themselves. We may still have a, we will still have a negotiation to the extent the freeholders decide to do additional, um, Uh, additional projects. So that type of information we are sensitive to. And I know the people that have come to some of the prior Improvement Authority meetings have been very respectful of that, and we we appreciate that. So the matrix memo that I mentioned earlier that's been on the website, this has been on the website. Um, I think there are three or four other public documents that we've released, sometimes redacted a little because of pricing information. But um, at any rate, and there's also the sensitivity of we've got local units that obviously four years ago said, thought they were getting a site. And so we do have dialogue with them, um, you know, regarding moving forward on their property, which is why we've kept them nameless. The point being, sir, and I apologize, I I miss your name, but the point being, um, we've given the first five years, we were comfortable doing that. Um, I can tell you that although it fluctuates, you know, throughout the full 15 year period, this asterisk revenue curve is roughly 215 in total. Um, but a, that information is, is is a little bit proprietary to matrix and B, if I gave you the full curve, you could probably ultimately back into which unit, which unit is which, which, um, you know, at this point, we're not ready to do. Maybe by next Wednesday, we will. So stay tuned. Um, yes. Sure. So um, currently every project that gets built, these 15 projects are entitled to the the construction cost component of it is entitled to a subsidy check from the federal government. So when I said earlier that we said, how much will it cost to build that project? One of the things we did was said, it's, this is the gross, but we are entitled to, it is currently a 27.4% subsidy on the, on that amount of money that gets netted back to, um, technically it's the developer, but post settlement, it's effectively the county, um, that comes in. So on the construction cost side, the subsidy you're thinking of, it's a 27.4% subsidy, which I, we, we have managed to sort of squeeze into a footnote here. Um, that is being taken into account when we get to project cost. Um, that is separate from, you know what could or may happen with astrex but uh, you know today astrex are a 15r you're entitled to them for a 15 year period and i don't think that's going to change Well, I think if production of solar generally goes down, the value of Astrax go up, right? It's a, it's sort of a, it's sort of a supply and demand. If you build less facilities in in New Jersey and the ashreck pricing, you bring up an important point. The ashreck pricing is based solely on a New Jersey market, All right? I think in Pennsylvania, aren't they like ten dollars? They don't even Pennsylvania doesn't even have a real market for ashrecks, but in New Jersey, um, any facility that's built in New Jersey that gets registered can be eligible for SREX, and those facilities compete against other facilities. That price is based on um, a, a law that is in effect that provides what type of penalty payment grid energy providers have to pay if they don't produce enough of their own renewable energy. So in 2016, by way of example, PSE&G has a choice. They can either produce X percent renewable energy, or they can pay a $450 penalty payment to the state of New Jersey. And in lieu of paying a $450 penalty, they can buy an SREC from a generator for some price that presumably is less than $450, otherwise they would just make that payment, right? And, um, and zero, and so the market is set based on this statutory provision for what the penalty payment is that grid energy suppliers have to pay. How close
4: are we to the 22% that, that somebody's obligated to? to move?
1: I don't know that that well, a, I don't, uh, I'm not sure I follow the impact. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I'm not familiar with the Matt. That was the uh, Sen- Senator yeah, Smith yeah, bill. Sure. <laughs> so this is Tom Bryce. Tom's with Matrix Engineering, uh, the uh, PV energy consultant, and maybe he can yeah, better answer your
4: question. There's a lot more solar going to come online, and the prices could go way down. Uh,
1: that, the, the that's correct, and and that's why that's that's one of the reasons to your point why we decided to create this column so that you can see just how far prices can come down before each individual project uh, is no longer paying for itself, right? So you're right, maybe, and Tom, Tom will get into it, but if prices fall from 225 to 150, then at 150, all of these sites are still not only paying for themselves, but producing additional cash flow for the balance of the system.
4: It is isn't obvious that it goes up or down. Presumably someone's
5: made projections of the future? have? Correct. Correct. I, we, we, have, we have made projections of the future. And what you're referring to is called the Renewable Portfolio Standard. The Renewable Portfolio Standard is a series of numbers that the state must hit every year to meet the goal of 22 percent by 2020. Um, we're about 30 percent into that goal, and we've had record breaking solar installations since the since the office of clean energy started not only the srec program but the renewable energy incentive program which started with rebates when that program started we've had we've had record breaking builds we have still consistently met shortfalls in terms of meeting the renewable portfolio standards in fact when the solar competition act passed a couple of years ago there was some thought that the renewable portfolio standard that had been set was almost unattainable. Um, Fortunately, the renewable portfolio standard was was redistributed over the years between now and 2026 to accommodate the heavy building that happened early on in the SREC program and slowed down when SREC values went very, very low a few years ago. Um, The Office of Clean Energy knew that they had to redistribute the renewable portfolio standard over the remaining years of the program in order to make it consistent and sustainable in terms of build versus supply versus demand. I guess my last
4: question is, we don't have a chart like this for the proposed traditional
1: goods. You know, these, these are the unbuilt sites. These are the, by- these are the sites that have not yet been built. The sites that have been built, they're built, they're up and running, they're saving $6.4 million, you know, over a 15-year period to the local units. The issue with those are simply operating them, maintaining them, and ultimately whether cash flows will be enough to pay for them.
6: And, okay,
4: oh. I
1: just want
6: to make one quick point to John, i John
1: Yeah, these are un unbuilt sites, we call them, not, not additional sites. additional sites on that.
7: King Bennett, um, I'd like to ask a question in-kind equity. Can you explain to me in-kind equity the uh, contribution that was supposed to be made by the uh, Can you explain to me
1: what in-kind equity is? I will, dur- if you want to ask that question during the portion of the meeting where we open it up to questions that aren't related to uh, Build No Build. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the the, uh, the rate right now? You it said that it's a constant. So what is it? It is. It was uh 6.667 cents per kilowatt hour in the first year and it escalates at 3% per year. So every year it goes up at the, at the anniversary, at the one year anniversary, it goes from 6.667 cents to 1.03 times 6.667 cents and it um, it was agreed to amongst all of the parties at the time that the program took effect in 2011. So each, each local unit has, the, has a PPA agreement, and that PPA agreement specifically says 0.0667 cents escalating annually at 3.0% per year. So, this thing has no regulation. That's correct. That, that, that number is, is fixed and in stone. Sure, sure. No, no, no. A- excellent question. Um, has nothing to do with the attorneys, has nothing to do with the professionals, has nothing to do with which entity issued on behalf of which entity. The fact that Morris County Improvement Authority did, you know, is the conduit issuer of, of the Sussex County program and that Somerset did their own, it's a function of the bid. Remember, when these programs were first created, the developer who came in came in because of a public bid and procurement process where there were multiple respondents who said they wanted to be the ones to build this project and one of the things that they had to bid to was a power purchase agreement rate that ppa rate is a function of the that developers economics it's a function of what the interest rate was on the bonds and remember as i think you're sort of alluding each program was done at a different time right so When Somerset was done, they were they were first of the three that are somewhat infamous in this area. Right. Somerset was the first one that got completed and they had the lowest PPA rate, largely because at the time their extrax were dramatically higher. So if this revenue was dramatically higher then this revenue could afford to be lower and still produce enough money to pay for all of this. So on the one hand, the somerset local units have a fantastic deal right they're paying four cents or whatever you said it was i think it's right around there instead of paying 12 or 13 or 15 cents right so the local unit is saving dramatically but that puts upward pressure on the county's guarantee because now that SREX are not prices are not where they were then this portion of the revenue stream has come down and of course in Somerset almost every all but two projects were already built so it was virtually all fixed in stone at the time that the litigation which involves Somerset happened so um, it's a function of many things and it's a product of each county doing its own deal and doing them at separate times that led to different PPA rates We were procured as Morris County Improvement Authority General Bond and Special Energy Council in June of 2015. In June of 2015, and we're in October of 2015. Uh, Did you did you work for Morris County Improvement Authority? No. For the Improvement Authority. Uh, in Scotland and Bauman. I do, and as you just pointed out, we do not. We did not represent the Improvement Authority. Inglesino Perlman represented the Improvement Authority. We represented the underwriter. I haven't seen that, but I believe if what you read is true, we represented the underwriter in connection with whatever transaction that is. We did the work we needed to do to represent the underwriter at the time. Um, Freeholder, did you have a question? Okay, who's, yes? I um, have a couple of quick questions, and I
8: wanted to ask you a little bit about aspects, but number one, um, is it possible to get a financial and more detailed analysis, your analysis of the numbers that went behind this
1: um, <coughs> or it, cause that Can that be publicly Um What we have chosen to present and what we have chosen to footnote is at this point in time the extent that we've chosen to reveal the information, revealing the balance of that information would go into pricing and other factors that we just can't reveal at this, at this point in time. No point so is is Not at this time. Oh, sure. Is that approximately a half a percent a year? It is one-half of one percent degradation per year. And so just for the, for the benefit of the balance of the room, um, again, the PV facility is built in year one. It produces energy. It creates electricity for a 15-year period, and in fact, it's expected to create um, energy for an additional 10 to 15 years after that. Um, however every year that the system is in place it produces slightly less electricity uh the production of electricity which means the production of ppa revenue and the production of srex will go down slightly and that uh, number that you're referring to which i believe is an industry standard is one ha- it will each pv system will lose one half of one percent production uh per year and i do think at one point the memo on the improvement authority website said maybe it made it sound like it was five percent or or, right point right and in fact it is one half of one percent per year and that is a standard industry assumption yes no and I appreciate you bringing that up so that the balance of the public knows
8: those discussions that uh, determine what a reasonable, realistic rate would be going forward? Because I have, I, I'm not sure the 200 isn't too, too artificial or not. Does well, anybody
1: speak to that process it, going back
9: to
1: the Yes, I'll ask Tom to speak to that process. But to your point about your view that it's being too high sort of is, goes back to my view of, everybody can have a different view of that estrac curve which is why we went to this one right so if your personal view is 200 or 215 or 225 which is today's rate is too high maybe you're a 150 person right in which case you would draw the line here or you're but a 180 I, I'm person not that, <laughs> that this is a yeah no 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 i'm just using you as an example but, but I, that's why we
5: The crash and and the ultra-low SREC trading prices were a result of an expiration of the renewable portfolio standard and the solar alternative compliance payment. Matt referred to it as a penalty that polluters and emitters have to pay. In lieu of paying that penalty, which is actually called the solar alternative compliance payment, they pay a certain number. When the SREC program was introduced, that number was $711. That is why we have so many solar systems throughout the state of New Jersey. During the period of time that the solar alternative compliance payment was not established when the SREC program started, by the way, they, they established the solar alternative compliance payment schedule for six years. And there was no solar alternative compliance payment value assigned for any year after. Even though there was an SREC program, and there was a renewable portfolio standard at that time, the Office of Clean Energy and the Board of Public Utilities did not have the wherewithal to determine what the solar alternative compliance payment should be. They weren't sure. So, in the development of the Solar Competition Act, there were multiple analyses performed, really to target solar investment and not to over-incentivize it, but to target solar in- investment to meet a 15% return on investment. That was, that was really the initial target. They, the Office of Clean Energy and the Board of Public Utilities and the multiple stakeholder meetings that I participated in, we spoke of that 15% ROI number as a target number because we felt private investment would respond to that number accordingly and because previously, more than 15% return on investment was required because it was a new technology. It was a, it was a technology and, and a type of capital project that was misunderstood and, and it was a mystery to a, to a lot of developers and installers and electricians and, and developers. So when the intelligence grew and the familiarity grew and the technology advanced, the prices came down. So... So the, the prices of solar panels, the prices of installation, the, the prices of ancillary equipment, um, more solar panel manufacturers uh, uh, started, to, started to crop up. And ultimately, when the solar alternative compliance payment schedule was determined, it was determined to not over-incentivize the program, but to ultimately create a, a long-term incentive that would self Fund and self-perform. So
8: you're the price of the penalties had to come
5: down. Too? Was that what you're the price saying? of penalties had to come down. So, in that, after that six-year period with penalties
8: <clears throat> continued, I, I assume you're not saying they weren't charged penalties in that period of time after six years.
5: At they all? they weren't. They were they were they were charged penalties um based on the last year's solar alternative compliance payment until the following energy year, when they rolled out the new the new values. All right. So, okay. Well, that's not really addressing what I asked. I guess, but I'm not. I, I just, you know, whether that figure at 200 isn't. Well, I'm sorry. let let me let me try to answer your question this way. The lowest point that the solar alternative compliance payment is set for from now until 2026 is 239 dollars. And that's the last year. The first years are well over $300. So, and you're taking
8: out, out how many years did you say? To 2026. Okay. So it came
5: to low. The solar alternative compliance, c- compliance payment lowest point is $239 in 2026.
2: That's not the more...
1: Yeah, if you, if, so if, if, in the, if in 11 years from now, the, the statutorily mandated compliance payment or penalty payment, if the grid energy supplier isn't producing enough of its own renewable energy, if their choice is to pay $236, $239 payment in 2029 or pay some lesser number to buy an SREC, you know, logic dictates that they are going to spend lesser money to buy an SREC than they would pay $239 to the state as a penalty payment. So the, in, the, in the last year of, you know, the current standard that Tom's talking about, the, if the alternative payment's $239, you would think SRECs are going to be priced at something less than $239. Um, you know, I don't know whether the state legislature would get together and take an action like that. I suppose they could.
9: The market changes
1: drastically? I mean, the state legislature can do whatever they can, they can pass and adopt and get signed by a sitting governor, you know, uh, regarding any aspect of any financial, you know, operation, including counties, municipalities, state government, et cetera. I want to, I know there are people asking, I want to go back to Mr. Rosoff just because I know you guys have asked questions. I'm just trying to get to everybody at least once. Rosef, sorry.
10: (laughs) SREC, and the reason we have to see it is you just started talking about the SACP, though. You just
1: said today's number is, is, is what? Today's Srec or SACP? Here's SACP is it what, Three something? 339.
10: And we are selling Srecs for two and a quarter. That's 30% less. So when it goes to 239,
7: 80 bucks
1: 140
10: 150 Mhm the There's third some forecast is up around 2 and a quarter for this chart
1: Well again to and, and I know you feel that way and at this time we're not revealing that information
10: ...to learn your methodology because you're promoting a chart where you're not giving us insight this is an emotional presentation this is not a number you're using numbers to I would I have to say you're deceiving us Okay I'm sorry to hear that That's why we're having the conversation with him about them. bubble and solar, and we saw the danger looming, and Christy and Sweeney got together, and they addressed that by lowering the SACP price, mandating some, some additional purchasing, and what happened to Astrax? they plummeted. So you have a business model right here
4: that we have no insight into, and, and we can start with Astrax, but we can go
10: elsewhere, because you. Tell us that, that the local energy unit saving is mandated to go up 2.2%. Well, I can tell you right now, my utility bill today is the same as four years ago. It did not go up 2.2% for four years. But you're showing savings that it did. And we really should see the year by year evolution of all the variables that you've chosen. And, you know, you've got some nice categories. Let's see it year by year, and let's just juxtapose that to the capital outlay. You're not discussing capital outlay. In fact, that's another question. Why? Why aren't you discussing capital outlay? Are you saying 100% of the money
1: is already in the kitty, or are you going to ask the freeholders for more money? Uh, We are not asking the freeholders for any more money. This model assumes that between the funds currently on hand in the kitty as you called it and the 27.4% subsidy that there is at least enough money to build uh, these uh, sites. There, There will be there will just so I'm clear just so I'm crystal clear there will be no additional borrowing of money to build the sites. I'm telling you that there will not be any additional borrowings and that whatever sites, if any, get built on this list, that that will be from existing project funds and 1603
10: grants. So, so, so your, SREC, like your SREC current now is
1: flat. I didn't say that.
10: Just
4: earlier you said it was basically 210.
1: I gave roughly an average number. I didn't say it was flat. In fact, I said it, it was, it's variable. It's variable as shown on the footnote.
9: Okay. Compared if, to what happened in the last four years, is volatility.
10: And you just told us the SACP is scheduled by law to drop 30 percent, but your curve for SREC value is flat.
1: I didn't give you a flat curve. I gave you a number. I, you've you've talked about this before. I appreciate your concern. At this point, we're not talking about the full SREC projection. But you should be. Is my point. I, and I understand that. I know that's, that's your point. Your I understand that. I appreciate that point. Okay. Oh. I just
6: here? Sure. So, uh, I understand the questions are being asked and this, what's it called? SAPC? SACP. SACP. We provided five years' worth of numbers. I think those of you who have been attending these meetings for a long time would agree that over the past year, year and a half, there's been a great deal more disclosure. All right. Um, where are prices going to be in ten years? You know, is, uh, the counselor talked earlier about where interest rates will be in 2021. We have no idea. You know, we're, we're making estimates based on a market that can change suddenly, one way or the other. You know, and, and these are our best estimates. So when we, uh, I was one of the ones involved in this analysis and I insist that we add the, and everybody agreed, the break-even point to give us some idea on where the break-even point is, where we're going to generate additional cash or lower cash. So I understand your questions logically, the questions you're, if this was a logical world, we got to remember this is an artificial market created by the government. All right, that's the first thing to remember. It's an artificial market created by the government and depending upon what legislature and governor is in place in future years. Now, one, one instance, I believe, did we have the resolution out here in the package that we passed?
0: The one for Senator Smith. Yes. Yes.
6: We, we, as a, a board, I see we have other freeholders here. I urge you to do the same. We oppose the Senator Smith bill to increase the renewable energy credit standards. New Jersey's already met them. We've already reduced our use of carbon by 33%. So let's have other counties, and other states really, excuse me, other states chip in and do that. We're trying to solve a problem for uh, our county. A financial problem, and we're putting our best estimates together. Yeah, I agree with you. Those prices over five years are flat, and we're disclosing them. 15 years flat. You know, I, I know the five-year number, and there's there's tons of paperwork, so I won't try and comment on the fifteen. My point to you is, I don't think anybody knows what the number will be a year from now. Really. So, you've got to look at this as a business problem. We have. Thirty-three million dollars of bonds outstanding, right? And, and we can't rewind the clock. I've been here three years, so before I was on the board, these bonds were issued. We cannot rewind the clock and bring that money back. The bondholders want to be paid, all right? We're not Bernie Sanders here, and we're gonna you know dis, dis uh, you know not pay our bills like uh, some you know Oakland or some other cities want to do. So we have to pay those bills. So what you see here. Is the best, if someone can come up with a better business case on how to explain this and and project cash flows, we're more than open to ideas. But I think this is, you haven't been involved in this for three years, and I appreciate your comments. I wish there was a way, you think of like an oil company trying to predict oil prices and make investments, right? Five years ago, they may have been thinking oil was going to be $150, $200. A lot of oil companies are going out of business right now because they borrowed and they're going bankrupt because at $40, $45 a barrel, they can't make a profit. So we're faced with somewhat of a similar situation. You know, We have no idea where these prices are going. Um, the irony of the situation is, the state here promoted renewable energy. The worst thing that can happen to everybody who built solar projects like Morse County, again, before my time on the board, is for there to be a breakthrough in renewable energy technology. Because if there's a breakthrough and PSE&G can spend $50 at SREC, they're going to spend $50 in SREC, and that's what the price will go down to. No matter what the law says, is this SPC thing, it's going to depend on what the marketplace, the, the as created by legislation, it's not a real marketplace, but what the marketplace created by legislation bears. So that, that I find is the, the biggest irony of all. But again, we've, we passed the resolution and I would challenge other counties to do the same for a number of reasons. Uh, I did a presentation, Listen to the tape, it was one of my better presentations, if I do say so myself, showing that New Jersey has already done its part and we do not need to raise the renewable energy credit. The marketplace is doing a fantastic job reducing carbon emissions on its own. We don't need politicians to try and predict the next 20 years to mandate how it's going to be done. So. John, what you're suggesting is that it's risking whatever we do. Yes. Thank you. Yes. State rules restricting the type of investments that we can make are extremely conservative. You said there's very
2: little things you can do to make any money and make $15 million. of the members of the public, I'll speak for myself, I think our concern is that we be realistic in terms of the possible variability. Yes. And the 2.2% built-in assumption that the state says you should use, I think there's more downside risk in using that number than
6: upside. Uh, well, let, let me answer that. Okay, let me, let me okay. go ahead. Let All right.
2: Right. With all the exploration and all the drive towards other energy sources, the price of all energy is coming down dramatically. So to build in a two point two, which may have been traditional <clears throat> increases from years ago, even though they say that's the number, I think as logical thinking human beings, we have to say, wait a second, what if it's zero?
6: Right. What if it's minus three percent? What happens to these numbers? So so and as Matt went over earlier. That number actually doesn't affect our cash flow projections, those energy savings. Where, so where does it what does it, it, it's really there just for display. It's display what the local units are projected to save at those assumptions. At right. It does not affect the cash flow. That, okay. that negative, you got one negative at the very bottom for the last site, and then a million dollars as a positive. That 2.2, all those, so I'm glad you're asking these questions. So that's informational. Right, and it's a good question, so for everybody to understand, that's informational. All right, so that, for example, you know, you have a $60 million school budget in some town, and that local school board's going to get $35,000 of savings per year. That, that, that was one of the justifications for the program. But that's not affecting our decision. We're, we're at least from my point of view, I'm looking at cash flow and break even point. Correct, it's a 15-year, the totals the tolls present. In today's dollars, what has that discounted cash flow for the 15 years? Because a dollar paid in 15 years now
2: is a heck of a lot different than a dollar paid
1: today. It's gross. It's gross dollars. It's not discounted. It's not present value. It is not present value to today's dollars. That's correct.
6: Well, for, you, 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 you are right. And for simplicity's sake, I think the decision made was presented this way. You also have to keep in mind that interest rates are, you know, they're, the interest rates are, well, they're very low, and they have been for several years. But it does change the way you draw the line. Uh, Uh, Technically, you're right, but it's not as great a factor as it would have been seven, eight years ago when interest rates were more, you know, like we were used to for 30 years.
1: I'm trying to get to the back, yeah, sorry. Sure. The energy, you mean the number? Yeah. It varies by site. Right. Each oh. site has a different number of kilowatt hours that it's anticipated to produce on a yearly basis. Not necessarily. But so, that's,
4: uh, the largest really cool. so, no, 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 the
1: most energy, right? no, but, but good point, and it, it, it dovetails off something I think the freeholder mentioned earlier, or in response to your question, actually. Um, Maybe it's a little confusing that there are 15 sites and we're talking about a 15-year, right? I think that was to your point. So each of the numbers you see going across a site, each number represents a site. There are 15 sites, one through 15. These are the sites themselves. These are the aggregate numbers over a 15-year period for that particular site. So um, we don't have total system production across all 15 sites in kilowatt hours we can get that to you we just didn't put it on this sheet Um, but we do have what the total upfront expected kilowatt hour production is and again it's less the the degradation that was um you know raised earlier uh, yeah we can add that as a as an item sure i don't even know where to go yeah Yeah, I should have said that at the beginning. Okay. How come on figure three there's only 13 sites? Did you have some in the swamp or someplace? No, mm-hmm. the other two sites. No. Okay, on
11: figure three, you only mentioned
1: 13. That's correct. So, um, as a result of the initial analysis and as a result of the analysis showing some sites that um, look less than stellar from an economic perspective, the county has been exploring some of its own sites where, if it chose to move forward, obviously they would get sort of a dual benefit of producing revenue for the site and getting direct energy savings. So there are two additional sites that have been added to the list for have study. Have had to
9: that.
1: They weren't considered at the time that we did that memo. This, this was something that had, that was the initial cut that we did a while ago and then and that determined all 13 should stay on the list and then as we got to tonight literally you know to this moment we had gone through the process and added two sites
11: the senior center whose senior center is that every town has a senior center you're
1: right i don't know
11: which, which senior center are we talking about? um
8: mount
11: olive uh, what happens if a town says no way you're going to put any more solar panels in our town they're on
1: this list so one of the reasons that the sites are currently numbered is because we want to make sure we have the benefit of that input and that discussion with the local unit before we start revealing which sites are which and which ones may or may not move forward I can't speak on behalf of the freeholder board obviously you know, that's an issue that, if it comes up, will have to be addressed regarding a site that four years ago decided they wanted the benefit of the energy savings and have since decided that they do not. Okay.
11: And the other comments that I have to make are not pertaining to this while we'll Wait for the public. Okay. Sure. Great.
12: Can we assume that if the state's assembly decided to stop penalizing the, the energy producers instead of Penalizing,
1: let them make market choices on energy. That all that SREC revenues <laughs> go away completely. Uh, it, that's uh, such an open-ended hypothetical. I don't know what the re- I don't think anybody knows what the result would be. Well, could if, or could if be. If, if
12: they stop pay, if they stop penalizing the energy energy companies, they're not going to want
1: to buy SRECs. Well, when to, as Tom mentioned earlier, when they did stop penalizing the companies, there was still an SREC market. It just wasn't as valuable. So what that market would be, no one knows. Absolutely. So um, as you know, because you um, are kind enough to attend some of the improvement authority meetings, we have talked about a multi meeting approach to make sure that members of the public not only get to see all the information and don't have to absorb it in an hour at a meeting and then have a decision made that the freeholder board, The Improvement Authority Board, the entire sort of collective team wanted to make sure that there was plenty of time for input and analysis and thought and follow-up questions, et cetera. So, uh, we initially did this on September 21st in Rockaway Borough, uh, where this full, basically, presentation that I've made was given to the public. Uh, we got this up on the Improvement Authority's website. We called tonight's special meeting just for this topic um and i believe the freeholders will next be um entertaining um decisions regarding build no build on october 14th um what we would hope between now and then is that as people walk away from here and as they continue to absorb they ask questions and and they come to the improvement authority and you know talk to us or provide additional information um but if not before the Improvement Authority has its next meeting on October 14th.
0: The 21st, Matt. Improvement Authority is 21st.
1: And the Improvement Authority is on the 21st. When you talk about the 14th, maybe I misunderstood you. I, I want to be clear. On the 14th, the freeholder
13: meeting, are you saying that that's a night that the freeholders will decide whether to
1: go ahead or not with the building opening? I don't I don't dictate the freeholder agenda or their board. I imagine it'll depend on their level of comfort with, um, the information that's been provided to them and the input from the public. And if not, I imagine we meet on the improvement authority meets on the 21st, and I'm going to guess that the county's next meeting is on the 28th. Um, but one thing, this decision is enormously important, but we also do have a clock, right? That we are cognizant of, and that is getting decisions made contracts, bid contracts drafted awarded um you know uh revisiting any uh building and construction permits that need to be reissued or updated shovels in the ground and energization by the end of next year so um i I do think uh, i am at least getting maybe more nervous than others um that we are you know starting to run uh, a little low on time but i think Certainly, you know, through this month, I imagine the freeholders will be holding meetings to talk about this.
13: Since you're talking about the 14th, and maybe that's the night that potentially a decision will be made, this information that we are receiving here, is this essentially the the only information that the freeholders are given, or are
1: the freeholders being given additional information over and above this? They're being given certain information that is um, confidential. Um, in addition to this information that relates to pricing and, and locations. But
13: that is, does that information just fit into the category of backup information for these
1: charts? Yes, so it there does. So no
13: information outside
1: of this? It is, no, it's the information that backs up this that we can't reveal at this time. So this is the basic information upon which a decision will be made. That's correct. Now, the freeholders have seen, I will tell you, the freeholders have seen, this is a summary of 15 sites. There is a model behind each site. So, they have seen multiple iterations by site. Uh, We have chosen more for simplicity than anything else to obviously summarize them one site at a time. But regarding sort of the critical information, they are getting information in closed session, uh, which currently remains privileged, again, in order to um, protect the county with respect to future bidding for pricing for these contracts.
0: Matt. Oh. With regard to Solar 2
13: that what you have on the board works and this is the actual thing that works out what is the total amount for solar 2 that the county us the taxpayers will lose on solar 2 if this projection works and we go ahead and build these and this projection someone give me the number that we will now lose the projected
1: number that we will now lose on solar 2 um, no because we have not combined this production number with the current production number of the existing sites largely so far because we have no idea whether one or 15 or any number in between of sites will ultimately get done but i do think that as that number takes shape that is absolutely a model that will be run and can absolutely be presented to the public to explain what solar 2 as a whole looks like you know
13: Break right even's been made. Is that correct? Let me finish. Let me finish. So therefore I ask, based on what we've spent already on the settlement, based on your projections on the units that are already built, because you already have projections, you have to have projections for what that's going to look like for the life of those projects,
1: based on all of Solar 2, what are your projections now as we sit here today? You have to ask. Of what is the loss on solar 2 if this works out? That's all I want to know. You have to have it. Well, I, I don't know why you say that. We don't have to have it, but we can run that for you and any we can put it on the has, website.
13: Any business has this. This is a I keep every meeting I keep talking, I keep saying that this is a business. We are no longer a county. We are a corporation here. We're in the solar business. We have to have projections. We have to understand No, because the numbers. If this changed. Works, mm-hmm. if we go ahead with this and we save this money why you're doing this, you're saving, you're being able to pay down bonds. We have to know what is our projected loss for solar, too. We have to have that number every month, and it may change every month, I'm just because based on your SREX and, and what is going on on the, on the units that are already built, you have a projection. So I'm just asking for that projection. You have to have
1: it. You can't operate without it. I'm sorry. I would respectfully disagree. Um, but again, we can provide that to you
14: so the a $5 yes right
13: that
6: right so no, mr. Malkin if you no, call back in April we put projections together then yes. but but the numbers are changing yes. right so, so
1: yeah, and, and, and we will update them and we will we'll provide update them.
6: them the focus has been to get us to this point all the effort has gone in to get us to this point. you're absolutely right though we need to know the total project projections because back then this was showing you know solar one losing nine million and uh 21 million i don't have my glasses on it's not on an ipad i can't make it larger print uh so we will need to redo these projections absolutely 100 percent agree with you just all the focus has been to produce these numbers but we did this before and it'll be done again
1: Well, first of all, they are variable based on actual SRECs that have been uh, sold and at what prices over the last, let's say 18 months, for example, right? So there is um, updates there. There is updates to the SREC curve to have them be in line with the SREC curve that's being used here. I'm not suggesting that this is a difficult task to do, which is why we can do it as early as tomorrow and provide it on the website to the public. I'm simply saying, as you pointed out, I think very well, that whatever the first half, the built sites of Solar 2, whatever that is, with the exception of of SRECs, which are changing, um, that model is what it is. We simply, in working on this and in examining sites and going through these models and having conversations with local units and having conversations with EPCs, we have not simply married the two, which we can do and we will do. Well, the cash flow less. you marry the revenue number from, from the unbuilt sites with the negative number, the loss number, and you see net net where you are, which is exactly what I Mr. Milkins. But,
8: but we're going <clears> to assume that assumptions were higher during the first part of SOLO 2. They're probably going to lose more money than this based on more realistic assumptions. So this is going to
1: subsidize a, a loss, probably, on the first part of SOLO 2. We hope. Absolutely. We hope so. That's exactly right. That, that, that's exactly, we absolutely hope that that's the
7: case. Yes. So, so the problem here is the same problem we had in the beginning, is the fact is there's no, there's no constant, everything's variable. I mean, if we were building sites, you don't know how much these sites are going to build because you don't even know where the sites are. We're still finding sites. And you just told Mr. Arosa that uh, we're not going to spend any more money. But how do you know that? If, if, if they can't put it on the roof, they got to put it on the ground, and it costs more money to mount it on the ground than it does on the roof, or vice versa. Where's that extra money coming
1: from? Um, I was a builder for 20 years. You are telling me I'm going to build a house without plants? That's what you are do. No, uh, respectfully, that's not what we're doing here. We know... Fact, when you
7: answer Mr. Moken's question... Because he asked the question... A we should know this on a daily basis, going forward, and it should constantly change. As a businessman, I know exactly where I'm going to be, okay? It's, it's, it's better than that. Okay? In running the campaign, I have to know exactly what number, when, how, and where. It's the same thing here. Why is that not? It's the county. You guys get paid millions of dollars. We spend millions of dollars on professionals. And you guys can't tell us where we're supposed to be right now? It's appalling. It really is. You should be ashamed of yourself to call yourself professionals. We spend millions of dollars for engineers, attorneys, and more attorneys, accountants. And, and you guys can't tell us those numbers. Those numbers should have been, this is where our projection is. If this changes, this is where our projection is. If that changes, this is where our projection is. And you can't tell us that. That's a disgrace. And we're supposed to be conservatives. We're supposed to be better than the Democrats. Okay? It's appalling. It really is appalling.
1: Well, I, I'm not sure that was a question, but I'm going to take a crack at going after that anyway. Um, just point? to be... You're Just to be clear, just to be clear, we know, we know, we know the location, the exact location of every single of the 15 sites. We know to the second decimal point, the exact number of kilowatt hours that are designed, fully designed to be built. On each site, we know exactly how many kilowatt hours to the second decimal point are carport canopies. How many are roofs? We know the conditions of the roofs. We know how many of them are grounds. We know the uh, the um, we know the conditions of the grounds. We know the status of them at DEP. We know we're the cost. No, we're not looking at two sites. There are fifteen we're not sites. There. Two
7: sites we're not
1: sure where at. Okay, let me try this again. We have fifteen total sites, one through fifteen. We know all 15 sites. We know exactly where they are. We know exactly what gets built on them. We know to the number of solar panels and the type of solar panel, because there are multiple types. We know exactly the number of panels being used. We know exactly where they're going. We know exactly where the inverters go. We know exactly where they hook up at the DC mains. We know from two professionals who build these exactly what they would charge in construction costs to the penny to build them. We have proposals that are 70 plus pages long detailing exactly what they would do. We have refined those plans to the point where where our professional thinks the maximum design is to the single solar panel on every single site. So we do know how much they will cost. We do know how much Uh, will be built. We do know where it would be built. We do know what type of system it would be. We know the exact location within the exact municipality or Board of Ed or county location. Um, We know- We don't have the number. Here. We don't have the number. That's correct no because I don't think that in a process where we're going to go out and ask firms to competitively bid to build this project that we tell them what we think it should cost or we tell them what their competitors are going to bid so
6: uh, just we don't just, find just that to be a good what, business project. one point one point for a lot of members of the audience and I'm glad Mr. Penna I believe it is from Passaic County Mr. Penna is a paid campaign consultant he was Mr. Cesaro's campaign consultant and apparently based on Sheriff Rochford's robocall He's apparently working for Sheriff Rochford. so we may have heard the first. We may have heard the first campaign speech of the 2016 campaign. So, just so you understand, really? we're, we're Mr. Fedor. We yeah, I'm, I'm just pointing it out for the audience.
7: But don't make comments, okay? Because the fact is, you said we want a new, fresh set of eyes on the situation, and you brought in Jessup. Jessup was was part of the deal before. He wasn't a new
6: set of eyes, okay? So let's talk about the politics. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm glad you you mentioned your campaign work. I'm glad you admitted to your campaign work. I think you were well paid, thirty thousand dollars in the previous campaign, and hopefully you've quoted a higher price to Sheriff Rochford. So.
12: So you really don't know what the the bid cost, bid price is going to be. So there seems to be a little bit of an incongruity there. Uh, You say you know what it's going to cost because you talked to two consultants, two professionals that have built them. But when you go out
1: on the market, you don't know if it's going to be more or less. Is that not correct? Uh, I don't think that is correct. We, and it's actually the developer that does it, we're not required to publicly bid it. And in fact, I think part of the discussion going forward, if the freeholders choose to build sites, will be the process of how do we procure the contractor who builds it. But know. that said, we can go sorry, to one. I'm sorry? Who
12: is the developer that you're,
1: you're talking about? Uh, Sunlight Morris Solar is the developer it will it, be the response because the county is not the one that technically hires the contractor the developer is the developer, the,
2: the, 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 developer or the, board.
1: the developer so my, my point to you is this um, although we're not required to one of the conversations that you know the freeholders and and the IA will have is whether to take a proposal at the existing co- price, or whether we all collectively come to a decision that we stand a chance to get an even better price than is currently being offered through a competitive process. I believe in, uh, I, I, shouldn't, I, I, I think the other counties did not go through that competitive process, but I don't wanna, I'm not positive, actually. So I don't want to get too far down the road on that. Wow. Uh, I don't think you've spoken before, right? <laughs>
14: Solar panel two. At the beginning, when the contracts were signed, the county signed the contract with Sunlight, and in the contract they stated that they did not have final engineer reports or drafts. That they did not have final measurements, and everything was subject to final measurements and drafts. Now, now it looks like we're going to have sunlight as a developer again. Will we also go into the deal without final engineer reports, final measurements, and have it be subject to changes or second
1: set of measurements? Right. um. Obviously, we'll have to work that out. But the answer, the improvement authority is no, uh, we will not go follow that same process we followed last time. And that is because I believe anyway, that one of the things that led to the ultimate litigation between the developer and its subcontractor was the process that allowed for a light, a lot of further site investigation, further site swapping, uh, what they call it, do loop engineering, I think the arbitration panel called it. There was a whole process that was was put into place and designed at the time and and has worked in prior programs, but in this case it did not work, where there was all of that additional work left to be done. Our view is this go-around, we should be removing as many variables as humanly possible. So we remove a merry go round of site process we say we collectively come to some conclusion that let's just say for example sites 1 through 10 get built sites 11 through 15 don't okay that process will then move to the engineers and the consultant making sure that those sites are one hundred percent shovel ready there are no roof issues there are no environmental issues there are no uh, engineering concerns that it is they've already designed it it has been designed to the panel so that we remove all of those uncertainties that you're talking about that certainly didn't help the first go around of solar Two. And we effectively, instead of make this a design build, we make this a build.
14: Follow up? So in, in actuality right now what we have are not, is not final,
1: the figures are somewhat bogus. Is that correct? Uh, no, that's not correct. The engineers have been to all the sites, they've been to all of the sites multiple times, which is what allowed them to take the original plan, what was the, what may have been the plan drafted in 2011, and modify it to fit today's standards, for example, If you have a roof, let's say you have a school, schools typically have multiple roofs on them, right? Buildings that are, you know, different sizes, different shapes, but all ultimately connected. Uh, It may have been that four years ago, 100% of that roof could have solar put on it, but four years of wear and tear and sun damage later, portions of that roof no longer can sustain solar panels. That's already all been addressed, modified and uh, a revised plan Uh, has been bid and it's been done effectively three times because the two engineering EPC's did it and the um, IA's independent consultant did it.
4: say if they fulfill the state's mandate on, on how much uh, alternative power, you'd see the whole SREC disappear out of think. And so that, that's, one is that a fair statement. And two, looking at the outlook for years, uh, it makes me very nervous, I and mean, things may really break down over 30 years. Plus, in 15 years, you can be almost certain that the solar technology is gonna be considerably better than it is now, and that for at least for the next number of years, the price of natural gas has been relatively low, and therefore, that should put a lid on the price rises that you get for the power supply.
1: I think those are all fair variables of what um, we're all dealing with.
4: And that, to me, since we, well, we don't have really a, a number on the downside, and let's say if you just lost the SREC, and you're looking out 30 years, you can see
1: very, very large deficits. So. But the deficits would be less than if you didn't build the sites at all, right? Why? In other words, because you, we're
4: counting all this SREC revenue. It doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily want out for 30
1: years. Oh, it definitely does not go out for 30 years. Just to be clear, the, the SREC revenue at the numbers we've been talking about tonight, they only go out for 15 years per site. After that, they convert to what's called Class 1 RECs and they basically generate 10, 15 bucks a rec. But remember that the bonds, the the critical piece here is we have bonds that are out there and they have a debt service component to them. And the issue is what do we do about matching revenue to pay debt service on the bonds? How do we match the county revenue versus expense of paying debt service on the bonds? This is the same. In other words, yes, but, but the SREC revenue, in the, in, if you're referring to the bottom half, which we really have not spent any time on uh, focusing on, if you do look at it, you'll see that the SREC revenue, adding 15 years of RECs, changes, I'll call it nominally, between the 15-year and the 30-year, and that's because the the s or class one RECs in the second 15 years are not nearly as valuable. They basically, you know, they don't even pay for the operating expenses, really. Why are they counted as income? Because remember, over 30 years, you're going to earn the top number, plus over the second 15 years, you're going to earn basically the difference between this number and this number, which again is not a big number.
4: Right. So then, your debt,
1: your downside, uh, is if the operating costs go up, uh, if the things start breaking down in twenty years, uh, that's a big uncertainty. Of are there course. On these I'm are, sorry. Are, are, are the are the are the panels, the, the plants, warranted in
12: some way, shape, or form, yep. so that Tom? The, the county is held safe, held safe. Yeah, your, uh, the systems uh, to
5: do what is expected of them? The solar panels have 20 year performance guarantees. That means for any revenue shortfall based on production greater than a half a percent per year of degradation, the solar panel company is liable to make good on the warranty for those solar panels.
1: If they're in business.
5: If they're in business. Sure.
1: Uh,
13: That gets to to the whole question why why I asked before, what is being uh, presented to us and what's being presented to the freeholds, because this is just one piece of the pie. The other piece of pie, which was just touched on a little bit here, is all the risks attended to building up the projects, such as you do have a cutoff at the end of next year to get the government money. If you start building those projects and you fail, complete the project by the end of the year, we lose government money. The scenario here that's missing, there should be a, a another column here that says if any of these projects are being built and fail to be completed, we lose government money, what would the cash flows, what would the revenues, what would the losses look like if that money is, is lost? Second, who's taking that risk? Are we passing that risk on to the EPC contractor? who's come aboard, you're saying, who well, has done a definitive study, and has looked at these sites. You should have a schedule by now of your start dates, your complete dates. You should have your your amount of time that you have extra for force, for sure reasons, et cetera, built into a schedule. You should have a master schedule, which has not been presented to us, which I think we need to see. I think we need to see the construction risks and all of that, pendant, and I think the frills need to see that, to show that, wait a minute, these, these projects can be built within the time, or what is the risk that maybe we only have a month or two on some of these projects, and if we end up with a storm, or hurricane comes through, something that delays and we lose the money, what is it going to look at? And who's going to take that risk if there is no force majeure? Are we passing that on to the EPC contractor so that if he fails to complete and he has no excuses, and well, I'd like to know what the excuses are in the contract for his completion, but if those ex- excuses don't, exist, and we end up with a kerfuffle, like we had with the last go-around with these EPC contractors and and sunlight and all, and they failed to complete and there's that loss. Is that contractor taking that loss, or is the county taking that loss? All of this we don't have, and the questions I can put on forever and ever here tonight on risks of the EPC contractor, the O&M and all of that, but I see none of that, and you need all of that here for anyone to make a decision on a go-no-go. That's why I asked what was being presented. I I only see small. This is, we're talking about risks, SRX risks. That's all we are here tonight,
7: basically. That's what we're talking about. We're not talking about the true building risks. And there
13: are tremendous building risks here. We can get into the panels. We know that, that over over at uh, Menin Arena, the unit was down for how long? And I asked this in a previous meeting. How long? Because we couldn't get replacement panels. We could not find replacement panels to put men and backup online. I asked, how much money are we losing for that? The same goes here on the panels we are using. Are these the ones that are in storage, or are we buying new panels? What is the, what is the replacement? Are these panels all the same for every project? Are they interchangeable? When you get to number of units you're building, are you, are you bidding each one as a separate unit with a price, or are you combining them to get a lower price from a contractor? who's building 13 units versus building five. If you're gonna get a price on 13 units, it's gonna be far less than a price on five. There's so many parameters here that Gavin told us tonight and so many parameters that the freeholders must really have to make an educated decision. And I do not see, unless you have all that information, I do not see a decision being made by the middle of the month or even the end of the month. And we should see that. Uh, We should have another presentation on all the project risks. This is essential. This is what hurt us the last time. This phony thing about the SREX price and dropping and all of that that caused the problems on the, on the project, that was phony. It was, the, it was the actual people doing the project that failed. That's what caused us this problem. SREX attitude, but but it was complicated by the failure to produce the product. And, and I can see that here again, unless we understand that you've looked
1: at all these variables and they're reasonable. Right. So first of all, thank you, because those are exactly the kinds of inputs that, you know, the purpose of tonight's meeting is for, um, 1603 risk. Yes. At the end of the day, 1603 risk, whether or not, you know, projects get completed because the County is depending on the number of sites built at a variable to your point, um, the 1603 money is integral to funding, you know, all of the projects. So if well, the county accept that, yes, uh, hang on, accept that, yes. To your point, EPC contracts do have provisions regarding construction start dates, milestones, construction completion dates, and and most importantly, liquidated damages like most other contracts in the event that things are not delivered on time. As for time, yes, there is a timetable. There's a timetable that we absolutely should and will um, put together. It's a timetable that has been was it was the first thing Matrix did when they got hired in June. Um, that does need to be updated because we did have milestones built in already uh, in the existing timetable. So we will update that timetable and put it on the website. But I, like you, have told Matrix from day one. I would like to see the timetable show everything is completed with several months to go before we get to the to the uh, end of the December 31 date so that even with an EPC contract and even with performance guarantees and even with liquidated damages and even with force majeure events, we still have, I don't know, three, four, six, as many months as possible for the complete and total unknowns, the Hurricane Sandys and other events of the world that will allow us to still successfully complete whatever projects get built. You're absolutely right, it's critical. That's why I said earlier, I get nervous about the timetable already. Tom, it does a good job of reassuring me that we're still within a pretty good uh, window of time
5: commercial operation on or about October.
1: Right. Based so on, based on the, Right. So based on but, the but to your point Yes, we have that. And yes, we will release it. We will update it. And we are cognizant of it. We're looking at it all the time. Yes, there are some things that will be worked out and will be on a list of critical items non negotiable items in an EPC contract. Yes, we'll be looking at the EPC contracts that other, you know, counties already um, put together because they've already gone ahead and made decisions to build a balance of their sites. Panels are in storage, uh, to your point, um, and all the costs. The EPCs know that they're using those panels because they're critical to the 1603 grants. They are not 100 percent of the panels needed to build. So the providers are assuming that there is a purchase of panels. From what I've seen, there are at least two different panel types that are being um, presented and prepared. We have those to the exact model number. Um, I know there are other issues, but I encourage, email us, write us those issues, and, and we're happy to continue to try and include them.
13: What kind of performance bonds are we looking for? And the liquidated damages should match, in the minimum, the loss the loss of the government money. And that's a high number.
1: They actually typically also include the loss of PPA revenue that the, bond, that the county and the bondholders would receive for not having the projects online. So they do include even more than that, to your point.
13: Okay.
14: Thank you. Yes. How uh, many of these projects—Chatham's, the Long Valleys, the Randolphs, involve a uh, panel on the roofs of these buildings? You
1: know, we can probably add up that which number includes roofs versus others.
14: Rough, rough I think ten have roofs. Okay. I'm involved in my. this And the fire chief said we will not fight a fire with the panels on the roof. Electric and
0: water don't usually. You know. Are you are you aware of that That's problem? Scott, when we did um the Hanover Garage in the first round, um we actually had a program up at the Academy, um at the Fire Public Safety Academy to uh fight fires. And actually, we usually work with each of the town fire districts with that through the uh, Public Safety Academy and the fire coordinator. And they all said they would fight
14: fires with the panel um, I mean, I haven't
0: heard any said they wouldn't, sir. So I'm say they would OK.
1: you've spoken before right that, that's come right. on it and
3: so how uh okay and then begin out and to follow up on roofs. 10 projects on the roof just to ensure that is who's responsible for the maintenance of that roof once these panels are in place
1: uh while the panels are in place uh operation maintenance and management is on the developer and if and when the panels are removed at the end of the 15-year period which is an option basically at the local unit um it's a, the responsibility of the developer to restore the roof to its national, natural condition less the what would be considered typical wear and tear right they don't have to put it back to a brand spanking new but they have to put it back to what it would have looked like with normal wear and tear af- after 15-year period It is the responsibility of the developer, which is sunlight, solar, Morris. If they have no assets and we're, and we're just using them as a figurehead
13: to, for contractual purposes here uh, because we have to because that's the only way we can get the, the government money and the bonds were sold that way. But in essence, isn't it really the risk of the county
1: at the end? If the developer does not have enough revenue to make those improvements, then yes. Yeah, you know what? I you know what I should have, Mr. Pagano. I'm no, sorry. You're absolutely right. No, no, no. I'm sorry. I appreciate you in a tough spot. You're absolutely right. I apologize. But let me just get through this. Um, so just to so be clear,
3: the the any damage to the roof while the panels are in place and operating is the developer's responsibility to fix the leak. Correct. So if that hurricane does come through, there's a process in place in which to repair the roof.
1: Right. I mean, to be clear, the portion where there are panels, right? If, there's a, the, if the gym is in a different building and there's no panels, they're not... Uh, you mentioned inventory of panels. Do you have the serial numbers of the
3: panels that, that are in inventory, and the condition of them? Were they, you know, properly received and inventory? Uh,
1: I I know we did at one point. So I imagine, did you guys get that from the that stuff from the prior? Yes, from the prior consultant. Yes, we have all that. Okay. They're in Morris County, incidentally. I thought I used the term variable, uh, but I'm not going to try and recall my words from two hours ago. But, yeah, th- this is absolutely the number that's going to move as be- of between the two revenue numbers, so no is, doubt it, about it. It
3: is a known unknown. So it makes everything, throws everything really into guesswork. Is that, is that
1: well, I mean, how you conclude it is up to you. But it is, it is not like the PPA, where there is a contractual price for SREX for the next 15 years. Now, in point of fact, there are contracts for SREX over multiple year periods. So, you are able to lock in, you know, two years or three years down the roads SREX. You can sell them at today's price. You can manage that and make it a little more known. And part of the job of the developer, together with the county and the Improvement Authority and its consultant, is to manage that portfolio. Not unlike, I imagine, a stock guy sits in his office and manages, you know, stocks going up and down. So you can't lock it in. By way of example, um, Solar One, when Solar One got done, half of the Solar One asterisks produced for a 10-year period, were locked into a JCPNL contract at I think four hundred and fifty dollars or something like that. Ten years worth of SREX, 50% of them, were locked in at a price. That model, that program doesn't exist today. It existed thankfully then because as we've all heard and know, over the last few years, SREX have not been at 450, but that's what JCPNL uh, is paying under that contract. So um, can you mitigate that risk a little bit? Yes, but in the end, that that price is, is gonna go wherever that price is going to go.
3: Okay. Uh um, no. no. Uh
1: at this point the county has not uh come out of budget at all uh with respect to Solar One. Okay. It,
3: just lastly, there are also the unknowns that you, that you don't know just like what the legislature
1: might do. And what the I I, I can't protect against uh there are a tremendous amount of variables here. Sure.
3: I was pointing out, was out
4: that Mr. that worked for Freedom Cesaro. Well, you you do. be why I just the rubble, I just so didn't
3: want him to. I mean, you can play with lots of things, but just not that one. <laughs> yeah, Harvey. Uh, I was just curious uh, in terms of going forward from here and presenting all these numbers,
1: are you looking to replace Sussex Morris? Are we looking to what? Oh, will the improvement authority be replacing Sunlight Morris Solar as developer? No, Sunlight Sunlight Morris Solar is the developer and they will remain the developer. So when
10: you start presenting operating costs, that's their costs.
1: Correct. Why aren't they here today? We didn't invite them. No, we verified the number on our, we used our own numbers. So
10: this is the same problem as 2011.
1: I don't know what, you want to expand on that in your view? Maztec is not uh, involved in the second half of these unbuilt sites in Morris County.
10: In this situation, some like Morris will go
1: to And EPC, correct. And you don't have any
10: way of truly managing, and, and you don't have your developer in the room here to really say, I live by these numbers, because you're not replacing them. He's your partner. Correct. We didn't ask him to come today. But, but this is the essential part of the problem for the last four years.
1: He was never in these rooms. And when he had a problem with the contractor, it was hidden from the taxpayer, it was hidden from the Improvement Authority, the right? say I live. Yeah, well, for all the reasons that you um, pointed to with respect to the things that sunlight may have caused in the past, it's all the reasons that I would prefer my team's numbers over sunlight's numbers. We are we are working with sunlight within the confines of the settlement agreement and the amendment and consent in a way that allows the county and the improvement authority to have as much control over the process as possible more than in the first go around without violating the control requirements um, that the IRS has on these entities in this view. They ha- they technically have legal ownership for federal is, income tax purposes. That, but when it gets to the control
13: aspect, is it for real or is it just a facade for the for the transfer? And if it's for real, then I think we would like to know what control they really have over going forward, whereby
1: they could usurp a decision made by the county. We, I think we need to know that. Well, I, I am. I am by no means going to use the word facade in connection with the IRS. And for everybody, whoever hears from the press, please make that clear. But um, yes, I think you appreciate the issue. We also understand the issue, and and we will be working in a way that that we all feel um, upholds the sanctity of the transaction from a federal tax perspective, but at the same time allows us to learn from the lessons from the 2011 transaction. Well, no. I'm. Po- I was pointing here, but go ahead. <laughs>
2: concern we have is related to that
1: So a couple things, um, I believe I wasn't there obviously, and I didn't receive the benefit of whatever you had maybe passed out. But, um, yes, at the end of next year, absent any action, affirmative action from Congress, that the tax subsidy, that 27.4% tax subsidy that I talked about earlier that's used to fund construction of sites, that's completely different than the SREC pricing, right? But that subsidy, whether it's in a grant check or an investor tax credit, it goes away completely. It goes goes to zero. it causes the cost of construction to go up because it's no longer federally subsidized at some level, which will cause production to go down, which among other things Close will, which will cause um, the number of SREXs in the marketplace to go down, which means the value of SREXs should go up. So one of the things that we look at with respect to that federal program ending in 2000, I think it's technically January 1, 2017, is that if it does, and if production, new production goes down, number of SRECs in New Jersey go down, which means the value of those SRECs that the uh, grid energy providers have to pay, there are less of them. So that would cause upward pressure on the price, which increases the SREC revenue.
2: Well, I, it, I said it's... The panel's great. What if we have a, a storm like what's damaged uh, the, the uh, roller rink uh, facility, and then we need replacement parts, but the companies that make that aren't in business anymore. Mm-hmm. with its risk associated. 75 and
1: 300. Yeah, so I think you bring up a good point. The way I, at least personally, have viewed this system once it, it's built is that, you know, legal responsibility of certain things fall on the developer, and that's important because, let's say the, the federal tax program goes away, and let's say SHREX are at, you know, $5 less than the current penalty payment, and they go up to $325, right? There is, in, in theory, there is a possibility that there is more revenue in a given year than there are expenses, right? And that money, although there's a running tab that the developer owes us, that money goes to the developer, but they ultimately pay it back to us. My view is the way you would want to view this is once this is built, it's effectively owned by the county from a cash flow standpoint, which is why, if this number was truly a developer expense and we didn't care about the number, we didn't care where it came from, we didn't care what the amount was, we didn't care how they came up with an operating number, we wouldn't net it out of the revenues because it would be a developer responsibility. But in the end, regardless, yeah, but yes, if they were in business and you said it was theirs, but we view it that 100% of the revenues basically flow to the system, to the county and hundred percent of the expenses flow to the system, to the county. Now, Tom can give you a better sense of, um, the type of milestones in here for significant improvements. Uh, insurance costs are built in here for a, a whole variety of factors and we can go through with the freeholders or ultimately get an insurance expert to, to explain the insurance binder and walk through the whole thing. Um, but I agree with you that ultimately all of those costs, in my view, to put them in a worst-case scenario, they fall on the county in the sense that these are the burden of the, are the benefit of the county and these are the burden of the county, right? And so in the end, you're just trying to figure out the best way, if at all, to maximize these and, you know, minimize these with the other option being doing nothing and just paying debt service on bonds infinitely. Sunlight is managing the operating costs pursuant to fixed prices that they've agreed to in their O&M contract. In the, I'm sorry, in the, amend, in the um, amendment and consent number three. And, and according to amendment and consent number three, we can terminate them at any time, which maybe we'll do in the future as O&M uh, operator. They're O&M operator. We can, in fact, we informally looked at previously hire, firing them and hiring another O&M operator and we came back that they were charging us less than o- other O and M operators in the marketplace. Yeah. They were charging that from day one. Yeah. yeah.
15: package that was chosen and the consultants that supported that screwed up. I mean, the whole thing went south in a hundred ways that the advisor did not alert the freeholders or the MCIA to as risks. You know, I don't know how else to say it. And the taxpayers got screwed. So we're asking questions in as positive try and understand what this is and to try and be helpful not be obstacles, knowing full well that you're all in a short timeline and and the pressure just builds. So I understand that. But there are are probably a hundred or so questions. So I would simply ask that as many of these questions be captured as possible, uh, that the, the MCIA and the freeholders encourage the citizens to submit anything that they're not able to get through tonight and that they will all be looked at as much as possible, not to cast any aspersion on any consultants, but simply to say that we're deeply concerned. And you know we just want it all to work out
1: yeah no and i appreciate that i mean i think that's been the sentiment of the freeholders and the ia is that the reason this is a special hearing the reason it's being held on its own on a dedicated night is to capture as many ideas and as many thoughts about you know what we've done so far to make it better so that the all of the stakeholders which are all of you and the elected officials and the appointed officials and the professionals we're sort of all in it together and and we want to make sure that we give the freeholders every last piece of information that they want in order to make that decision and I do think John we haven't talked about this but I and I was sort of encouraging mr. Rosef to you know if there were additional follow-ups to certainly email them we should probably figure out a way to in a dedicated manner receive you know additional follow-up questions in the next couple of days because again the point of this in part was to say you've seen all this nobody's going to think of everything tonight so inevitably when you're driving to work tomorrow you're going to go oh, i wish i had asked this question and we can get it captured and, and or or make this point and we can get that captured and included in the next round of yeah
0: matt they can, we can put it on our website and it could come back to my email and i could distribute it to
1: the professional okay. team all right good that would be well, fine we should make sure we do that
13: None of us are against solar, and in fact, solar has been around for a very long time. Um, we can't continue to burn fossil fuels. Mars County has an energy problem, and I think what we have to do is just make sure the numbers are correct and we have the right people doing it. We're not going to be giving back.
1: I think you've spoken in the back before.
12: Um did you say that, that there was
11: essentially a future market for this lock in process? Um, if, if that's the case, would we be able to say for ten years lock in, you know, break even points on one
13: through nine um, and you know, then we would know that we wouldn't lose any money on it, but we'd still be getting the not working fossil fuel benefits from that stuff? Right. Um I don't think you can do it for, for ten years.
1: I think—I'll um, ask Tom to speak in a minute—I I think without speaking for the benefit of the Freeholder Board directly, I think if, if, if there was—if there's one break-even number to get the entire Solar two program to get to dead zero, and we could buy all the Estrex today to do that, we would absolutely do that and go like this and consider it a huge success and run like fast, right? Um, Unfortunately, through a combination of factors, either price, you know, the market is where it is um, and the ability to only sell a few years in advance, that sort of perfect scenario um, doesn't exist. But but I believe the improvement authorities charge through its professionals and I believe the freeholders and again, they'll be able to speak for themselves next week. We're here to sort of minimize as best as possible losses. We're not in the business to be churning such a profit that we have more money than we know what to do with. We're, we're trying to just keep more water out of the boat than is coming in. Tom, do you want to talk about how far you can sell in advance in this market briefly?
5: Yeah, the, yeah, the SREC market is relatively short in terms of the appetite for hedging, mostly because there's uncertainty regarding the 30 percent, which is now— investment tax credit. What, and we didn't, we really didn't spend a lot of time talking about this, but one of the other things that drives SREC value is how many solar systems get built. Because while we have to watch what gets built and what, what operates in the future and today, we also have now, starting a couple of years ago, an aged inventory. And we discussed it earlier that as solar generators get older, they generate less, albeit slightly. When you aggregate it on the level of a state, you start to get into 10-year-old, 11-year-old, 12-year-old vintage solar generators that are generating significantly less power over years.
4: Just by simple economics,
10: though, if we did lose the 30% tax credit, you know, having a hedging
14: situation, we'd actually lose out. We'd make more money by selling them on a the, the spot market.
5: Or waiting until after the expiration of the I I think most of the industry is 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 fairly succinct in in waiting for the decision relative to the 30 percent investment tax credit there's stipulation that the tax credit will be changed to a 10 percent investment tax credit because 30 percent really isn't required we're over incentivizing it some think 20 percent and there are other schools of thought that think it'll either be eliminated entirely or it will continue to be extended at at its new 30% 30% after the 20 after the cut from uh, sequester but we're really waiting for that that's really the industry in general is waiting for some kind of a decision and some kind of a direction because that is going to take out one of the unknowns that someone was talking about which is how many what will the appetite for building new solar be next year and the year after if the ITC is changed then the appetite for constructing solar will change
1: Well, I, I'm not convinced that's necessarily what, um, the freeholder was, uh, reflecting in his views on energy, but he can uh, obviously correct that at a later time. Uh, um, I, yeah, I don't think it was, but, um, regardless, the way the process would unfold is the freeholders as a board with a vote. So you will hear from each one of them will uh, essentially approve whatever package of build versus no build sites uh, gets done. So you will hear, you know, in some form, even if it's just by vote, whether they comment or not, it's up to them, you will hear each member, um, you know, vote on, you know, whatever the ultimate, you know, decision is regarding the number of sites that get built versus the number of sites that don't get built anywhere from, you know, zero to 15, I suppose.
4: Like seven hundred
1: thousand dollars a year, somewhere um, uh So, the is: What percent of the county budget is that? Is this a tiny amount, or is it a big amount? Um, uh, well, does it 20, Morris, county Morris, Morris County's budget is 350 or 15. three hundred fifty or one five million. Uh, right, but but on top of, just to be clear, on top of the losses that the sites that were already built are projected to have, right? Yeah, so so sure ultimately, well. um, it is, that's exactly right, but the issue is, can that be mitigated by additional cash flow? Uh, that shouldn't affect
4: our decision of whether or not to venture a new investment.
1: Well, I think in the end it's a matter of passive shouldn't
4: determine whether or not we kind of gambled
9: again. Right? Okay. okay.
1: No, the PPA gets paid on, ultimately, it's shown on an annual basis over 15 years, but the PPA gets paid, I think, monthly, right? We get paid monthly? Yeah, it gets paid every month, not unlike an energy bill. We get, for per year, we're
4: going to get 15th uh, of that
1: total. For each site, sure. Now, again, remember that the price escalates. So as the price escalates... More revenue comes in in the later years than the beginning year, so it's not a perfect one fifteenth, but yes, you're going to get roughly that kind of revenue. Correct. So,
7: so again, back to because uh, I know we went off, change
1: of The kind um, of equity. Right? Can we get to that? I oh, let me just see if there's any more questions on build no build. Again, I know we have an agenda item, of resolution, some bill lists, and then I know we're going to go to a general open public. Do you, build no build. Yeah. Yes, the, um, the construction cost numbers that the EPCs provided did include the performance bonds that, um, that you're talking about. Um, there is, I mean, the guarantee is the county guarantee, which is separate. Um, the operation of the systems... had 15
8: ha- years, you're saying, right? Like, I'm assuming you're saying that that's for 15 years, not
1: for... for well, the contractor is only going to provide a guarantee that they build the system, right? The contractor is responsible to build the system. That's it. They, they're not, no, they're, they're maybe you know, warranties, as Tom mentioned earlier, there's, there's warranties on the panels, and there are shorter warranties on other manufacturing components, but the contractor, think of it as you know, who's hired to build the system, he's not necessarily guaranteeing 15 years' worth of performance, he's guaranteeing completion. Think of the, the CSA, the, the county security account money, right. So the county security account, um, the money that, has, that was in the account pre-litigation um, and during the litigation process and up to settlement is still there. That money is still there. It is getting spent along the way a little bit, um, but that money is still there. We assume, you know, no additional um, reserve, county security fund reserve. At this point, that's the county guarantee, right? If revenues don't exceed opera, don't exceed expenses and there's a debt service shortfall, if there isn't enough money that comes to the bond trustee to make a debt service payment, the county is on the hook to make the difference between those two payments. That, that, that doesn't change. There's
8: no, that's, there's no like, kind of performance bond to, 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 to protect the taxpayers.
1: Well, perform- performance bonds are to get the things Built, energized, and up and running. No
8: I mean, to say if, if, if something
9: else goes wrong, then we can't make the debt
1: payment. I mean, the, there, no, there, there are, there's, there's insurance for various things. There are warranties for various things. But nobody's coming in and saying, we'll take care of every last payment, no matter what it is for you. No.
9: The only thing we really can do is a
8: performance bond
1: on the construction. What you can do is learn from the 2011 transaction and structure an EPC contract that that, uh, mitigates as many risks as possible to get the system completely built and up and running. And once it's built and up and running, it becomes a cash flow asset, right? It becomes a cash flow asset that produces revenues, that has an operating cost component that, that you know, Tom has worked on and estimated, including significant uh, maintenance upgrades, and then there's the debt service on the bonds. I mean, it, it, it's very complicated, but it also at some point comes down to once they're built, it's, it's those items. And either they're going to be enough to pay debt service on the bonds for 15 years or they're not. And if they're not, the county's going to come in and make payment. Yes, I believe there are ways in the in the EPC contract, which obviously is a contract that, you know, has to be negotiated and fully vetted, et cetera. But I believe that there are things that can be done differently to try and mitigate as many of those risks as possible.
12: I was going to just, just what I would like to see would be a, uh, a grid that has uh, net cash flows per year per site. So your year zero, one, you, have your construction costs, and uh, year two, you've whatever whatever the net would be from your production uh, of electricity minus operational costs, so that uh, we, we could perhaps take that and do some sort of a net present value uh, calculation on uh,
1: what each site is, is going to generate we I mean we have those models, so we'll look at um, we'll look at preparing them for the public, and I don't see why we can't distribute those. Yeah.
14: With respect to the phase, uh, solar panel phase one, we added the developer that went into either bankruptcy or receivership. With solar panel phase two, we have the developer Sunlight, who increased the projected costs substantially after. the bills were signed to a point higher than what Maztec said was the industrial standard and went to arbitration. The three arbitration arbitrators decided in favor of Maztec, it uh, uh, was, came out that some le- like owed $21 or whatever uh, to the contractor. And, all and now we have this contract or we have sunlight Sunlight that's basically judgment proof so these are all considerations that affect the build out or non-build out and in considering the build out or non-build out we should consider right now whether uh, sunlight will be able to pay liquidated damages whether Sunlight who we'll have will have any entity. And thirdly, we should consider who is going to pick the contractor. Is it going to be Morris County or the developer uh, who ran into big problems by trying to uh, tell an experienced contractor what to do? And, and that was what the arbitrators Thank you for those suggestions. Yep. Okay, but do you have any answers? What's the answer concerning equity? Did Sunlight have equity at the beginning of Phase uh, Solar Panel Phase Two, and will it? If
1: it uh, is developer here, will it have equity now? We're assuming that 100% of the costs to construct are paid for through project fund monies already on hand with a bond trustee, and 1603 grant monies received from the
7: federal government.
1: Without any without any additional uh, equity contribution from uh, sunlight.
14: Well sunlight was required to have equity in the beginning, and now you're saying you're not going to require sunlight to have equity at this point?
1: Uh, well, that's it, it, it it it's not post litigation and post settlement. Um, obviously as we all know the way the transaction was mapped out to occur in 2011 the way it ended up occurring and the ramifications and fallout of that have all changed what was originally thought what the plan was going to be under the original documents and what ultimately happened at this point in time as I said earlier in my view you know this is effectively a a county or an asset run um, uh, asset class and so we are not considering any dollars being included by um, Sunlight in terms of construction of the assets. Okay. Are, will Sunlight have an
14: opportunity as a developer to change the uh, figures that uh, the engineers have come up with at this point?
1: The, um, the next set... Uh, sunlight will not be modifying the engineering um, uh, numbers or plans, and uh, Sunlight will, in conjunction with the county and the Improvement Authority, um, will follow their instruction in terms of selecting an EPC. Why was they be here to say exactly that? No. Because we didn't ask them to come. No, because I don't believe it's allowed. Uh, Tom can probably answer it better, but I believe you in fact have to make sure that the energy produced by the solar PV facility is less than the demand of the building so that you always have enough, uh, so that you don't have access centrally. So you always have the PV facility feeding the building. Uh, I believe we've looked into any opportunities where we could maximize existing sites, uh, and be close enough to connect it to a facility. Of course, you can't, as you know, you can't run these, you know, the cables that deliver the electricity across miles of roads. But, um, I believe we have looked or or the consultant has looked at figuring out basically at every site, figuring out what is the maximum, you know, best use Of that site between what it can house and what it can actually take. Because again, you can't build more PV um, production than you can actually use. One last question. You talked about getting uh,
13: performance guarantees from the solar panel manufacturer with regard to the panels. Are we getting? there's a system through which the power has to be conduit and there will be line losses, et cetera. And if that is improperly designed, our output will drop. So is the EPC contractor looking at that, engineering that so that we know how much will be available for actual sale and that they're giving that delta guarantee? Because yeah. that's crucial.
5: I, this is, I'll give you the technical part of the answer. Um, the technical part of the answer is there will not be a performance guarantee on equipment other than solar panels. There will be warranties on other parts of the equipment for different lengths of time depending on the equipment. The systems will be installed to be in compliance with the Office of Clean Energy's standards, which require a specific limit to D rate factor, which means that the solar generated at the solar panels has to make it through the system you're describing, and be delivered to the building where it will be consumed, at a predetermined engineered D rate,
9: Good.
5: At, a, at a predetermined efficiency. Who's guaranteeing that? And that Well, that's not something that gets guaranteed. It's something that it's something that that gets it's something that gets signed and sealed by a professional engineer that the calculations are correct. It's an an electrical distribution system, and the way electrical distribution systems work in this particular case is what is generated and the the efficiency on day one remains to be the efficiency through the system for the entire life of the system. The panels will degrade, but the the wire's ability to move electrons from one point to another never changes. If day one the system is energized and does not perform to its design specification, it's not accepted. Therefore, it is not complete. That's
13: right. Who pays, who pays the then
5: the perform- if then if the contractor doesn't and this is this gets into contracting, but I can speak from my own experience. If the contractor does not remedy that okay. defect, then the performance bond kicks in, and another contractor is brought in to remedy that defect.
13: So yeah
1: through, right through to the right, point,
7: through right, through the performance energized period. right Absolutely. yep yes so question to, uh, to george's point these numbers were calculated now on the end of where the actual termination point is where we would get the electric day, at the panel and then we have that loss that hasn't been calculated in those are a lot of numbers and that loss if it was figured in on the
1: I'm sorry, what loss are you referring to?
7: There, there's a loss of electricity that's going to be lost from the panels, and I know we're getting into a week now, but has to do with the cost factor. If, if there is, if, if
5: he, he just said, I'm sorry. The, the losses was, have been accounted for. I, I don't want I don't mean to jump in, but I'm well, just saying, I can save you a lot of, you, okay. the losses have been you. accounted for when we projected how much energy would be produced over the first year and then the 15 years. Do the operating costs include
14: money or fees or charges to be paid to Sunlight? Sunlight, or uh, what Sunlight is
1: owed for its work? Uh, the operating expenses include the Owen, the operation and maintenance component, which currently uh, Sunlight provides for uh, a fixed contract price. There's actually two components of the price, and uh, those expenses are included um, in this. As I mentioned earlier, um, in the event that we decide to hire a different operation maintenance and management company, then those, the fees to that company would be paid, but they are accounted for in the operating costs, yes. Correct. Well, the work that Sunlight does, the O&M expenses, are, you know, billing, right, watching the meters, generating the bills, uh, sending out the bills to the local units, um, doing uh, operation and maintenance to the system when a, a piece goes down, et cetera. Those are not the types of things that, you know, the build, no build committee has been doing or working on. That is work that has, was always done by the O and M provider in solar one. It's a different company that does it. It's not the improvement authority. It's not the county. Uh, and in solar two, it has always been uh, sunlight that has done those. Nobody else has taken on a redundancy of work when it comes to operation and maintenance of the, uh, existing system. Uh, They are required to produce an audit annually. uh, And they do send all of their expenses um, to the Improvement Authority. And the Improvement Authority still has uh, view access to all of their bank accounts.
0: Matt did a great job. Thank you all for all your input. Um, The Improvement Authority will move to Resolution 1541, which is a resolution of the Improvement Authority authorizing the transfer of funds and payment of certain administrative and operating expenses in connection with the Morris County Improvement Authority's County of Morris Guaranteed Renewable Energy Program Lease Revenue Bonds Series 2011 and certain other matters related thereto. Uh, Matt, do you want to explain any of that?
1: Uh, sure. Do you have a copy of it? I don't actually have a copy of it in front of it. But um, this resolution uh, effectively does uh, two things. One, uh, after, you know, what, five months of work, um, Matrix has uh, submitted an invoice for its work as consulting engineer on uh, Solar 2. And as we have had from the beginning, the, um, the admin expenses are paid for through the system. They're not paid for out of the budget. So this resolution approves um, payment of that expense uh, to uh, Matrix for their work uh, for the last couple months. The other thing it does, as I mentioned earlier, actually, thank courtesy of the public, um, the um, Amendment and Consent Number Three pre-approved the annual monthly operating expenses of Sunlight General. Um, They have they submit those every month. Um, We are um, effectively sort of validating the approval. And the reason we're coming, um, the reason we're doing that in this case is uh, twofold. One, the uh, original Amendment Consent for panel storage fees to be at approximately $1,200 per month. It turns out that the actual invoice received by the panel storage company is $1,400 a month. So technically, that expense exceeded by $200 per month the um, approved expense item. And um, the Amendment Expand Number 3 also provided for what were called contingency expenses, which were um, unforeseen expenses in connection with solar 2 and there is a roughly two hundred I think forty-six dollar uh, expense that Sunlight has submitted that categorizes as a contingency expense. Uh, those need to be approved in writing by the improvement authority. So this resolution um, approves uh, that expense as well.
0: Thank you. Any questions? Motion. Second. Second. Okay, I'll do the roll call. It will be Commissioner Sandman. Commissioner Kovalchuk, yes. Commissioner Ramirez, yes. And I will also be a yes. Minutes. We did not. Thank you. Council reminds me we need a to approve the minutes of September 14th special meeting, including executive session. Can I have a roll call? Uh, Can I have a motion? I'll make a motion. Second. Second. Okay, Uh, Commissioner Kovalchuk. Yes. Commissioner Ramirez? Yes. And I am will also be a yes. And the minutes of September 21st special meeting and executive session have a motion?
6: I'll make a motion.
0: Second? Second. Commissioner Kowalczyk? Yes. Commissioner Ramirez? Yes. Commissioner Sandman? I was not, I was absent. And I will be a yes. Um, before. We move on. On behalf of the commissioners, I would like to express condolences to Commissioner Sandman on the passing of her mom. I know how close you guys were, and we're very sorry for it. Thank you, Alan. Okay, um, I don't believe we have any possible actions after executive session today, or any further resolutions to consider. Okay, so at this point, and in reference to the first part of our meeting, um, we will open the meeting up until we will open the meeting up to other questions for the Improvement Authority. The format will be as follows. It will be open to the public. Each individual could come up to the podium. We could swing it around. Um, you can ask your questions. We had initially put on the, resolu- on the agenda three minutes, but you can ask your questions. Um, and then it could be followed by every member that has questions. And at the end, we'll close it. And Council uh, Jessup will answer those questions that he feels he could answer. And those that perhaps are longer and need some research will we'll address on the 21st, the Improvement Authority meeting of the 21st. So we kind of thought that was fair. So at this point, I'll open it up to final questions regarding any matter.
6: Mr. Con- Alder Lyon and I didn't violate union rules by moving these podiums. <laughs>
1: as long as you didn't get hurt. I think it's up to the podium, right? I
0: want to take that one um, that's sign down. So we can Mike see Budagno,
11: that Randolph Township. Basically, I'm going to talk about the county college. Uh, the authority has put in uh, electrical um, solar panels throughout the college. Uh, basically, the residents of Randolph did not expect to have an electric generating plant in the middle of its town we did expect to have a college. Uh, By putting in these panels, (coughs) you totally destroyed the way the college looks. This is a a rural college (coughs) in the middle of a rural town and now it looks like an airport. Uh, You destroyed the uh, ambiance of the college and I'm gonna fight any other solar panels that you try to put in Randolph, tooth and nail. And I don't think I could fix this because all the discussions were about the operation course. I had nothing about when we're gonna take them down after 15 years. That goes from the way it's running now, doesn't it go to a company in 15 years, these panels? And if that's the case, do I have now all these panels that are a private company on a school property? Do I get to tax them? So I have a lot of questions for it. What you did is you did overkill at the college, and you actually destroyed the way it looks. That's my only comment.
15: Hi, Bill Ames, Whippany. Um, Just a procedural question, Um, and and, um, I hope it fits in with this open period, but... In the midst of all that conversation, I lost what the operational steps are for uh, the activities between the MCIA and the freeholders with regard to coming to a conclusion or decision point on the solar. So if you could just, you know, kind of walk me through, do you make a recommendation to them? Uh, Do you first meet to approve the, the recommendations of your consultants? Or just what is the procedure, if you could kind
0: of outline it? Can I do that after we close the uh, open portion, Bill? Sure. I'd be happy to.
7: Thank you. King Pana, uh, Clifton, New Jersey. I live in Passaic County. Um, uh, for Mr. Crickets to bring that up, um, I'd like to know in-kind equity co- contribution. It's something that if someone can explain to me um, what that is and then I have several questions after that. So can you answer that question now, or are you going to- I, mean, I think
1: to the me? format the chairman um, dictated was that you can ask all your questions, we'll close and then we'll answer everybody's no questions problem. throughout.
7: Okay. Um, okay. So, so the in-kind contribution, um, if so, um, if we don't build it, how much of that in-kind contribution um, is at stake? Yeah. What are we going to lose? Um, the other co- question I have is, um, Sunlight was supposed to put in 30% into this deal, right? It was, uh, I think, $12.5 million, which is in kind. Where is that money? Where is it on deposit? How much of it they put in there? Has it all in there? Um, the other question is... Um, if, if we don't build on the on the in-kind contribution did we receive any of that money Uh, and I'm trying to get all the questions because you're going to ask them while I'm sitting down so I won't be able to ask a follow-up question Um, the other questions I have is where is the inventory and is there an audit of the inventory and when can it be seen the auditor's report and who was the auditor who did it Um, where are we paying for storage? I guess you answered that question already. The deficit. Who's paying the deficit? Is that now our responsibility, um, as Mars County? Um, how much is uh, sunlight making on this on this transaction, and are they solvent Because it's, it's it's really, um, reading the the bond prospectus and and understanding that being in the securities business and reading these amendments, it's, we gave so much leadway to this, to this company and, and, and there was no checks and balances. And, and the last question uh, in regard to Sunlight, was there a performance bond? And if so, how come we didn't activate it? And if there was no performance bond, why are we not suing their malpractice? They gotta have some kind of pra- malpractice. And how about the attorneys who represented uh, um, us? They approved amendment one they, they gave us to go ahead with Amendment 1. And what Amendment 1 looks like, and you can maybe answer this in a question and tell me, no, that's not the case, but it looks like in Amendment 1, we gave MassTech's money to Sunlight to pay the leases, and we notified everybody but MassTech. MassTech found out a few months later. So, where were the professionals, the lawyers, on that issue? So, I was hoping to have a dialogue so I could ask questions and rebut, but um, I guess we'll come back and we'll go over other questions. The last thing I want to know is how profitable or how, how much a loss, I guess I should ask, is solar one? And looking at solar one, that should be something to look at is what are the SREC's paying there? What kind of money is coming from there? So if, if the money is not coming from solar one, how are we going to think we're going to get it from solar two? I mean, that's been around for a long time. I and mean, it even had some, some guarantees in it for a while. Those are my questions for now. I have many more, but I, I guess we'll start there now and, and see what your answers are, and then I'll send more questions um, uh, from there. But there's, there's a whole lot of stuff that is unanswered. Thank you.
3: Thank you. Uh, Dan Pagano, Tawako. Just a few minutes earlier, Councillor said um, reference admin expenses come out of the program, and just for a point of clarity when I sit down, are you referring to the Administrator's expenses when he's working as the MCIA running the program, uh, or what, what exactly were you referring to? Um, secondly, he stole my thunder, but um, regarding Amendment 1, um, in, the, in the arbitrator's American Arbitration Association on page 65, paragraph 327, it reads as follows. Amendment 1 permits the project companies to draw down on the project funds to reimburse themselves above the cap in the lease agreements, to pay the authorities legal fees and expenses, to take liquidated damages even if disputed by power partners, and to make lease payments to the trustees from those funds. If they had the equity of $2. $12.5 million, that's referred to in the, um, I believe it's a bid evaluation, why was Amendment 1 necessary? Further down, paragraph 329, it says, the project companies did not secure power partners' consent to amend the program documents. Power Partners did not learn about Amendment 1 until early in 2013. Now, when I was, I think I was five, my father taught me that when you take something without someone's consent, that's called theft. Now, it may not be called theft here, but the point I'm trying to get to is I don't think the freeholders, when they voted on Amendment 1, really understood what they were voting on. I have it here in front of me. It's 17 pages of legal jargon. I asked for the invoice on what it costs to have this written up. I find it very troubling when I read the finding of facts, because when you read this, you don't really read that in this amendment. I want to know what mechanisms have been put in place by the professionals, by the MCIA, by the freeholders, to prevent this from happening. because. The freeholders feel that they are relying upon the professionals because this entire program is so complicated, so complex, so misleading, it's, it's such a boondoggle. I want to know what the MCIA has done to prevent the, the level of vagaries that have been allowed by the professionals in solar 2. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Seeing no one else will close the session. Oh, sorry. Harvey, right?
10: I forgot. I forgot. We didn't have to be recognized. Uh, Harvey Roseff. Uh, I am uh Sussex County and, uh, we've been living with this disaster just as uh, Morris County residents and I wanted to mention a couple of things. Um, it was brought up earlier how the price per kilowatt escalated within a few months, just a few months. From uh, 4.1 in Somerset, 6.7 here, 9.4 for uh, for my county, Sussex, and I don't necessarily buy into the reason why it escalated, but that's not why I came up. I came up because it it was 9.4 for Sussex County. That was the reality presented to the freeholders. And we had a whole coterie of professionals that review the bid evaluation. At 9.4 cents, the electricity savings, Mr. Crickus has mentioned, or Freeholder Crickus, he's mentioned that, you know, there's a lot of variables, it's tough to get a handle, but we have to move forward. But 9.4 cents was the hard number, and at that point in history, our county, was, our schools and so forth were gonna save 20% on their electricity bill. And if you look at the numbers, it's roughly $160,000. Let's just even call it a quarter of a million dollars per year. Somebody told our county it made sense to bond $28 million. $28 million to save a quarter of a million dollars per year. It didn't even cover the electricity, uh, the the bond interest. We had a whole bunch of professionals on our bid evaluation committee. They voted 94 out of 100 for that proposal. Not only that, when this deal went to Somerset County, which is roughly the same size as Somerset, uh, as Sussex in terms of the, of the uh, solar plant and the cost of the solar plant, Somerset saw $12.5 million, no, I'm sorry, I think it was $11 million in sunset equity in sunlight equity when that deal came to sussex i believe it was 7.6 7.8 million the ratios all went down all indicated this was a horrible deal there was no savings the coverage ratio by sunlight was was immensely poorer and somebody voted 94 out of 100 to say this deal made sense and I, and my county is living with this deal now. I, 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 think, I think something has to be done in your bid evaluation committees because you staff that bid evaluation committee, all the same professionals in that bid evaluation committee did your Morris County deal. They all got big contracts by saying yes, they forget if the deal was good or bad, forget that we went through this uh, bad experience between Sunlight and the contractor. It was never a good deal for for Sussex at 9.4 cents. Uh, the last thing I wanted to mention here, and it doesn't get any press, doesn't get any mention, and I believe I've never really gotten through an Oprah any correspondence or documents. I think I got 100 emails. Everything was blacked out except the names. Everything had black lines through it. I'd like to know and this is a question that I I'd like you to get back to me on an email. Um I want to know who First Star Development is. First First Star Development. This is in amendment 1. It's in amendment 2. And when, and when the bailout came for, for my county, Sussex County, Sunlight gave over a million dollars to Sussex County. It said, here's your tax equity money, which came from First Star Development. I'd like to know who First Star Development is for a simple reason. Well, for two reasons. The first reason is It looks like, on a Google search, they're a, they're a subsidiary of the independent trustee. And I don't understand how you can have an independent trustee, if, if I am correct. How do you have an independent trustee who's participating in the deal? But you're going to have to tell me if First Star Development is a subsidiary of maybe the parent company of U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank National or whatever their name is, your trustee, and, and I'd, like, I'd like to know if you told the freeholders that. And the reason this is important is because when you decided to bail out or, or ask the freeholders to bail out sunlight on this deal, there's a whole coterie of professionals that are participating and giving their points of view and then we have also this, this independent trustee, and they participate in a tax equity deal, which gets altered if something happens to sunlight. But I don't know if my freeholders ever knew there was, if, if I have the relationships right. So I, I guess I ask you, do I have the relationships right uh why there why and if i do why there wasn't due diligence as to who this firm was why the freeholders weren't told and i guess we can only leave it for the imagination as to what might have changed in amendment one amendment two and potentially the bailout amendment three if people knew this
0: thank you Okay, I will close the uh, open session, and we'll... Freeholder
6: Crickus? Yeah, uh, just as a comment, no need to reopen it to, to the public if I could. Appreciate it. Uh, this has been an interesting night. I appreciate everybody coming out here. Uh, you know, this was not something I expected to work on when I first came on the Freeholder Board three years ago. Um, unfortunately, once the $33 million of bonds were issued, by the previous freeholder board. The only way to have the taxpayers not bear the full burden of paying back these bonds is to have revenue from the solar projects. So as much as I dislike this program and would celebrate ending it, this step of just not doing anything would put a massive deficit that could only be paid by the taxpayers. And we did the numbers back in April, George, I think you remember, it was like, I, I had the sheet before, 21 million if we don't do anything nine million. One surprise to me when I first got on the board and, and Fielders Capicchio and I were the liaisons to the improvement authorities is we got on board first time January 13, August, September, we both want to kill this. Like what are we doing here? I mean, you hear how complicated this is. What is government doing here? Uh, here was the problem then and now is that these bonds, I was thinking, hey, you know, I got a little finance background. We're probably paying two percent interest, ten year treasuries are paying two percent. Let's just invest the money in ten year treasuries, pay everything off, we'll be pretty equal. Unfortunately, the bonds were actually issued not at a municipal rate. They're issued at four and a half percent somewhere in that neighborhood, about four point five. They had to be issued at a private company rate. Because a private company actually well,
1: a freeholder, if I may, they yeah. were issued at the federally taxable rate federally taxable. for a AAA governmental entity. Okay. So they were governmental rates, but not tax-exempt rates. They were taxable rates, which tend to be a little bit higher than your traditional tax-exempt rates. Right.
6: Thank you for that correction, Counselor. Appreciate it. That's why we pay you. So, uh, and then, as we found out tonight, uh, and I should have remembered this from my days as mayor, we can only invest excess funds... I think it's 300 and 97 397 days. Or less. Yeah, which your half percent estimate is way off. It's probably five basis points. It's probably 0.05 or something like that for a, a one year Treasury bond. It's low. Right now it's low. Yeah. But we get about 35 basis points. 35 basis points, okay. So there went that idea because on $50 million, if you've got to pay 4.5% and you can only earn 35 basis points, you're losing a lot of money every year. So and for the reason why I oppose this project is simply, I don't think government should interfere with the market, yeah. all right? Government should, if a person, investor, a company wants to risk their own money, yeah. feel free. You know, I, I'm happy if 80% of our electricity was generated by solar. In fact, in the Southwest, if you've been here meetings, a couple meetings ago, I went over some of these charts, produces twice as much energy. Uh, but by government interfering in the marketplace, It's just a a waste of resources. It's inefficient use of resources. We we have panels here in Morse County that could be generating twice the energy if they were in Arizona or New Mexico or California. And uh, that's basically, we don't need bigger government because government has no competition. So there's no pressure on government to do a job better. Um, And that's, that's the reason why. So our focus now is to minimize the damage and put this project that failed behind us and learn the lesson Over and over again, the government that governs best governs least. So I appreciate your time. I know some of you first-timers, thank you for coming. I feel like the priest at uh, Easter and Christmas. And for those of you who have been here a number of times, you know, appreciate your interest over time. And thank you. Thank you, Administrator.
0: Council?
1: Sure. Um, I I think the first speaker was was Um, the mayor? Mayor
0: mayor from uh, Randolph, and clearly we understand. Right, he had a question, but I, I think did he leave he he's gone I, I it was more of a statement and we have no intention of doing any more there is no more yeah. solar right. projects going in Randolph okay
1: fair enough um, I think the second one was mr. Reams, right on the recommendation I mean I, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong um, chairman but I think the idea is that uh, the IA and its professionals and the freeholder um, committee of three, the build no build collectively, that whole build no build committee, will be providing all of this information plus all of the follow-up information from things that we've heard tonight um, to the freeholder board. And ultimately, it will be uh, their decision, you know, as to which sites get built and which sites don't get built. It is our hope that we can at least provide guidance and 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 provide what we think is a um, you know, a, a solution in terms of which sites may get built or may not. But in the end, uh, that decision will be made by the freeholders.
0: Matt, will also put a notice on the Im- Improvement Authority website for anyone who has suggestions to about how to strengthen the model. Right, right, see. follow-up uh, suggestions
1: and questions, et cetera. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great idea. Right. Uh, Mr. Penna, I know you waited a long time on the in-kind equity, so uh, let me get right to yours. Um, I think you sort of answered your own question, actually. The in-kind equity was referring to the 30% portion of the project cost that was always going to be funded from the 1603 grant and not funded from bond proceeds. So recall that the way the program was set up um, and bidders had the option of either getting 100% of the construction funds from bonds, in which case the county or the Improvement Authority would have issued more bonds than it actually did, or they would issue enough bonds to cover 70% of the construction cost. And if they only issued bonds to cover 70%, then the developer and contractor were agreeing to wait for the other 30% from the federal government. Because remember, when each site gets built, you submit the project cost to the federal government, it's a million dollar site, you say it costs us a million dollars to build, and the federal government, when it's approved, sends a check back for, at the time, a 30% subsidy, not a 27.4% subsidy. Uh, So what Maztec and Sunlight agreed to on their own was that they would wait if it took 90 days if it took 120 days if it took six months whatever it took they would wait to collect the 30 cents of the dollar in construction costs and the improvement authority bonds were only paying for 70 cents of that construction fund dollar so 70 cents from the bond fund 30 percent from the 30 cents from the federal government on every construction fund dollar the in-kind equity that you're referring to is what sunlight and Maztec called their deferral of the 30 percent piece until it came um as a check from the from the federal government um and as a result it wasn't an amount of money that was deposited at closing if you will or when the transaction first took place it wasn't an amount of money that was there in the beginning in a bank account um that then went for some other purpose it was only paid over to sunlight when um when the federal government uh, issued checks. Um, if we don't build on these sites, um, there, is, there really is no concept of in-kind contribution with respect to the unbuilt sites, because as I mentioned earlier, at this point, it is the intention that the Improvement Authority is funding 100% of the project costs with um, project funds, bond funds held by the trustee, plus the um, 1603 grant money from the federal government. So there is no equity from another provider, uh, a Sunlight or um, someone similar. Uh, So that concept uh, of an in-kind equity contribution sort of goes away. Um, The inventory is located in a warehouse in, um, in Wharton, not too far from here. Um, we do have a complete inventory right we have a complete listing I think Tom spoke to that earlier Um, I don't see why we can't release that we'll take a look at it I don't think I've ever seen it but we'll certainly take a look at it and if there's no issues with it we'll release that Um, and the sooner we get you know those panels out of there the sooner we're not paying um, warehouse storage fees to the uh, to the uh, warehouse provider there How much money is SLG making? Um, As I mentioned earlier, they are the O&M provider. Uh, They receive approximately $16,000 in total. Not Sunlight directly, but Sunlight and a parent together receive about $16,000 a month in total as the operating expenses. As we mentioned earlier, those are included in the operating expense number that uh, that you see on the display that's still showing. Uh, um, I think you asked what happened to the performance bond. The performance bond ultimately was um, not formally called upon as a result of the global settlement between the three counties, the improvement authorities, the sunlight entities, and Maztec. Uh, amendment number one taking Maztec money to SLG maybe I can answer that oh uh, let me go hang on one second Uh, loss on solar one I don't have that number um, but we can get you that number we can we can in fact we're going right now through an updated analysis of solar one to see uh, to figure out exactly when solar one becomes uh, an issue as I mentioned earlier to date the county has not had to make a payment Uh, out of the county budget on solar one Uh, unless things change that will happen at some point and we're updating the model to determine when that will be so the county can adequately prepare for that Uh, but we can get you that number i just don't have that now um let me take a crack at the amendment one together with mr pagano if you don't mind um, only because he asked i think some um, similar questions um dan on your um admin expense question uh before i get into that they uh, much to mr bonani's chagrin they are not expenses uh that he gets paid um being an improvement authority board member is a zero pay job uh being chairman of the improvement authority board member is even less of a zero paying job uh there is no additional uh, income or salary paid to mr Bonani or for that matter any of the improvement authority commissioners for their role administrative expenses i know you're familiar with some of the documents administrative expenses are a category of expenses defined in the bond in the general bond resolution they include Trustee, the expenses of the trustee, the expenses of uh, the improvement authority, um, and its, um, you know, professionals, its counsel, its um, consultants, etc. Uh, it's those types of of costs and expenses. There's an exact definition in the. Um, in the uh, general bond resolution um, as to what those administrative expenses are. Um, in this case, you heard us tonight approve or the Improvement Authority tonight approve administrative expenses for the energy consultant. So administrative expenses do include, you know, their, their consultants, which would include the energy consultant. So that cost to pay for Matrix's services to date will come out of uh, proceeds held by the bond trustee. Um with respect to amendment number one, um what did it do and um how it was characterized by the um by the um arbitration panel. Um I think Mr. Pagano, you were sort of alluding to the fact that the finding of fact and what it says amendment number one does is different than what amendment number one says when you actually review it. I think you held up the the both of them and made a great point. Um And and I would largely agree with that. Um, Amendment number one did a couple of things. It extended the maturity date of a note, of a B note that was originally issued with the bonds. Um, It extended the completion date by which Sunlight and Maztec had to complete all of the uh, renewable energy projects. Um, And it allowed for the payment by Sunlight of lease payments, which are debt service payments on the county's bonds, from... Bond funds that were available from the pro- for the, from the project fund, but which sunlight certified were not needed to complete the balance of the sites. so I know that's not the easiest concept in the world. remember that when sunlight borrowed its bond proceeds um, because it was there it was their money given to them to build the sites any money left over after all the, 100, the sites were hundred percent complete went back to sunlight. And they borrowed more money than they needed to complete the balance of the sites. Um, what they certified to was, in lieu of waiting till all of the projects are built, if we certify that we can remove money to pay debt service and or to make lease payments, which ultimately go to pay debt service, um, and we still certify that we have enough money to build the projects, can we make those debt service payments? And amendment and consent number one allowed that to happen um, as well um how the arbitration panel came to some of its other conclusions as you know um, the improvement authority was not in the room the county was not in the room its professionals were not in the room um, there was no opportunity whatsoever for the public um, entities to participate in that. Um, Arbitration not unlike a proceeding against a family member for a criminal activity when they're not allowed to participate in their own jury. Um, I think ultimately we would all you know question at some point some of those uh, conclusions and I think you point out that the findings of fact with respect to amendment number one don't really comply with what amend- amendment number one on its surface um, says.
9: Um.
1: Oh, uh, on consent, uh, to, I knew there was something else, uh, Mr. Pergano, I apologize. On um, on the consent, again, I, I read that in the finding of fact two. Um, we weren't a party to it. Again, I can't say it's accurate. Um, there are contracts that require consent of parties to that contract. Um, I, I'm not sure that Amendment Consent Number One actually approved a contract. Um, that Power Partners Mass Tech was a, was a party to. But again, um, we weren't a part of that, um, uh, that arbitration panel. So how the panel came to its conclusions you know, remains with the panel and with the parties that were involved, not with us. Were there any others from? Well, Harvey said to respond by email. So I certainly think we'll respond to him by email. So which question? Uh, first
9: Star Development. First first star.
1: Right. So First Star Development is the tax equity provider that Sunlight brought in through Amendment and Consent Number One to provide additional revenue to the projects. No, explain the deal. Maybe That's what Amendment and Consent Number One says. We, the Improvement Authority was not a party to the individual deal between First Star and Sunlight. I don't know the corporate structure of first star development. have never Googled first star development? No. It's there. Okay, well then then you know the answer. Well, first of all, I'm certainly not going to speak to whether your freehold, what your freeholders were and were not um, counselled on, um, with respect to one or two. I can't speak to that either. I wasn't when when Amendment and Consent Number One, you know, happened. Hypothetical, hypothetical what? I don't know that there that there is necessarily a conflict that would cause the independent trustee who has a defined role. In fact, the trust indenture I I'd, I'd be willing to bet specifically says that uh, being trustee on the bond transaction does not preclude it from carrying on other business with respect to the entities that are party to that document. trustee only responds to written direction of the improvement authority or or in the event of default uh, instruction from the bondholders there has been no event of default with respect to the bonds so there's no um, following of bondholder instructions required by the trustee otherwise they act at the instruction of the improvement authority they don't independently go off and make decisions that's not the job of the trustee You're repeating what happened in Sussex. I am not gonna verify that happened or didn't. It it may have happened, it may not have happened. It happened right MCIA here. Come on, you, the body here knows. Speak to it. The improvement authority in the case of Sussex acts at the written direction of Sussex pursuant to the servicing agreement between Sussex County and the Improvement Authority. That's not exactly what I said, by the way, but continue. You have no authority on releasing these payments? That's not what I said either. Well, tell me what you said. What is the question? No, please tell me what you said so I can phrase my question. I told you that the that the bond trustee acts at the direction of the Improvement Authority. What do you mean get this transaction? The 900,000 was going to go to sunlight to keep them alive. According to whom?
10: up here earlier saying they're going to pay O&M and they're going to pay this and we're going to contract with them on this thing and they're going to have insurance and they're going to pay liquidated damage. They're bankrupt. They got no money. You can write all the contracts you want. You got no call on
1: them. Okay. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Um, I'll close the uh, open portion at uh, Matt's portion at this time. Can I have a motion for adjournment? There was another question that I are to ask. Which was?
7: And, uh, why did the, well, the MCID get involved in Sussex County and how much money did they make on getting involved in Sussex County? Sussex.
1: Oh, well, I um, John maybe can speak this better than I can, but I believe Sussex County approached uh, the MCIA to act as conduit issuer for the benefit of Sussex County because Sussex County doesn't have its own Improvement Authority uh, to take action. The Improvement Authority's law allows a county to use another county's Improvement Authority if it does not have one for projects that can be undertaken by Improvement Authorities generally. Why Sussex chose Morris versus any other, I don't know. I wasn't, you know, around the time that that decision was made. I don't know if there was any benefit. There were no, I don't think the Improvement Authority even charged an administrative fee. It was mm. simply a straight pass-through. Sussex County picked up the costs that, um, that its professionals uh, incurred, and uh, Morris County Improvement Authority was, was basically a direct pass-through entity. They didn't, they didn't make any money, and they didn't uh, lose any expense.
0: There, there have been towns in, in Sussex County that have, in the past, utilized our Improvement Authority. I know Newton was one of them, for instance, because they didn't have one. Yeah. Okay, um, I'm going to close that portion of the meeting, and I'll entertain a motion for adjournment. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate all your answers. Motion for adjournment. Motion. Second? Second. All in favor? Aye. So moved. Thank you. Thank you. Second. Sorry, sir.